0: Trying to work around Stripco. Stripco forces it wide, separates it from the puck. Can't clear the zone. Pivots keeps it in. Behind the storm net, new hook. Now Stripco is going to go in. A big right from Stripco. An underhand. An uppercut by the chill player. Stripco delivers a right. This is Vandermeer and Stripco. Vandermeer a roundhouse right. Now Stripco in tight. By Vandermeer and Stripco, an overhand right, another right by Stripco, and then a big right by Vandermeer. And the linesman come in, then a right by Stripco. After the linesman had come in to break it up. nice and really getting
1: some good right hands in gillies is down with sandstone somebody better help sandstone everyone must be held accountable for their actions you cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it oh my did Mick plant one on c card wow you can't put a bounty on a man's head i just did the spinning spinning, who's he going to go after? The butt drop and bondwagger will break the game
0: black. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do. You and John Davison. Take care This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer talk, proud member of RR Productions, and welcome to episode 101, 101. So if you didn't listen to the last episode, that was the 100th episode, but I believe it was episode number 78. And uh, starting with 101, I'm going to do things the right way, since it is the 101st episode, So any episode or any guest that takes multiple episodes to uh, complete the interview, uh, each one of those episodes will have its individual number, as well as the solo episodes, so there will be no confusion. And just to clear that up, the reason why the 100th episode was episode number 78 is for people who had multiple episodes, for instance, Mick Vakoda had three episodes, Trevor Gillies had four episodes. I just did episode three, part one, part two, part three, episode whatever, part one, part two, part three, part four, Uh, and people who had multiple episodes, it was the episode number and part one, part two, and I really should have made every episode, it's each individual number. Also, some of the solo episodes, I did not give a number to, and that's why the 100th episode was not episode 100, so... That was the 100th episode. And going forward, each episode will have its own individual number. And today is episode 101. And this is the Andre Shrubko Appreciation episode. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. But first, (coughs) excuse me, already, if you're on social media, if you're on Twitter, I am on Twitter. The show is on Twitter at Kali Sinbin Pod. And the individual. Twitter account for myself is at Joe underscore Lozito. If you're on Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And if you're on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. Now, when you go to those social media accounts, you will see the logo. I love the logo. The logo was done by local Long Island artist Joe Maricich. And if you're interested in hiring Joe for any art projects that you may have, you can do so on Twitter at GraphicsJoker, G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R, or you can get him on the website loudegg.com. I guess I should have said get at him. You can get at him at loudegg.com. Excuse me. See, I should have taken some water before I started this, but, you know, whatever. So, anyway, let's talk about a few other podcasts that I know you will like. The first podcast, the OG of the Enforcer podcasting genre, Darren of the Fourth Line Voice. The Fourth Line Voice is a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Two episodes a week, Wednesdays and Sundays, Darren's latest episode. Was the Sunday shit show Uh, a variety of topics? And um, my favorite part of the episode this past Sunday was Darren talking about fan bases. And I was going to say fan bases in general, but I really could say fan bases in particular because with the advent of social media, you always had to wonder about other fan bases. For instance, I'm an Islanders fan. I always thought the Ranger fans were douches. And of course, we all had friends that were other fans, but taken as a whole, you always kind of thought the other fan bases were douchey. And you know what? With social media, you found out you were right. But you know what else you found out? Your fan base was also kind of douchey. And, um, I mean, the king of the douchey fan bases, in my opinion, are the Leafs fans. Um, But that's because I think a lot of them are delusional. But anyway, that's just how I feel. If you want to know how Darren feels – ...on that topic and a variety of others, please tune in to Darren's latest episode on the 4th Line Voice Podcast. He does, like I said, two episodes a week. Wednesdays are generally his interview episodes. Sundays are usually his solo rant episodes. Neither disappoints. Excellent back catalog. You won't be disappointed, so check that out. And when you're done with the, um, let's call it the appetizer for your ears... You want to match up some of the fights for your eyes, maybe that you heard on the 4th Line Voice? Go to his YouTube channel, the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. Over 2,700 fights on there. And as I always say, if you've ever watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it's on the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. Another friend I would like to tell you about is Alec Coden Salin of the Five for Fighting podcast. Alec is a proud member of Six Pack Coverage. Alec's latest episode was titled Under the Weather. Alec was a little sick for the episode, but he powered through it. And Alec addressed a recent controversy in the podcast world. And you've heard me say over the last few episodes that Alex did an episode uh, that had some uh, a subject matter that some find dicey. But Alec handled it like a pro. Really couldn't be prouder of him. You know, he's just a pup. He's a baby. Um, but he handled it with the aplomb of a veteran. And uh, it was a great episode, his best solo episode ever. And that episode spurred some controversy, the irony of which... The um, the episode wasn't even listened to uh, by the, uh, the other person. I don't really have any contact with the other person, and it's not really for me to discuss. But check out Under the Weather, the Five for Fighting podcast. Alec, um, he addresses that controversy and other topics. And, uh, again, a great episode. And Alec has a fantastic back catalog as well. So uh, why don't you... When you're done with this episode, check out the 5 for Fighting podcast back catalog. Check out the 4th Line Voice back catalog. And as I said, the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. But Alec also has a YouTube channel, the 5 for Fighting YouTube channel. Now, Darren's YouTube channel, there could be uh, fights from anybody, from any league, from any time. Alec focuses on the four-letter league that shall not be named they don't like you to know that they fight in that league. And again, I say it's a cruel irony because in the early stages of this league, that's what made the bones for this league. Uh, that's how they made their bones. They were known for the physical play, but I don't know. Maybe are, are they getting too big for their britches, as uh, people say? I don't know, but they don't like you to know that they fight. They, uh, you know, the old saying is any publicity is good publicity, but not for the four-letter league that shall not be named. But in case you want to see any scraps from that league, you can definitely find them on the Five for Fighting YouTube channel. And when you're done with that, check out the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Thousands and thousands of members, lots of interesting topics. I'll leave it at interesting. <laughs> Lots of interesting topics. And by the way, Darren on his Sunday shit show rant episodes gets many of his topics for those episodes on the Enforcer Appreciation page. So you kind of get a sneak peek there as to what Darren may be talking about next. It is now time for the 2021-22 New York Islanders slash Bridgeport Islanders. Fight Report. And last week, I think I had a bunch of fights for you. Not the case this week. One new entry, and it comes from Bridgeport. The captain, Seth Helgeson, logs his fourth fight of the year, bringing him one fight closer to Parker Watherspoon, who leads the team with five. Seth Helgeson fought Tyler Lewington of Providence. I don't know how it went. I'm sure the captain uh, handled himself well. Um, like I said in a previous episode, if, if the Islanders do not make the playoffs and they're out of contention with several games to go, uh, I'd love to see them give some opportunities to some of these guys that are battling hard in Bridgeport, and Helgeson is one of those guys. Um, if it means they're they're in the playoff until the end, so be it. But if they're out of the playoffs, I would love to see guys like Seth Helgeson, uh, Andy Andreoff, Parker Watherspoon, you know guys like that get a shot so um, obviously the playoffs are the top priority but guys like that have been breaking their ass all year down in Bridgeport they deserve a shot so I don't really have any notes this week pertaining to hockey but something did cross my timeline on Facebook from a, uh, a baseball player who played in the majors I believe Well, I know he played with the Cincinnati Reds, and he spent some time with the Somerset Patriots uh, back when I was going to the games down in Somerset. And um, it, it had to do with the mayor of New York City. Now, in case you're wondering, New York City is an absolute toilet. It's an absolute cesspool. There is so much wrong with New York City right now. You would think that the mayor would have his hands full with important things like the homeless crisis, like crime. By the way, the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, Economy, getting businesses back. um, Any number of important things that you would think the leader of New York City should be worried about, but not, not the New York City Mayor Adams, not Mayor Adams. No, Mayor Adams this week, once the baseball lockout was over, uh, and by the way, good for all the people who work in baseball that are not the players and are not the owners, people who work in the concessions and the box office and the ticket takers, uh, any any one of those people whose livelihood relies on the billionaires and millionaires getting together, I'm very happy that the lockout is over because I'm sure it was a little tense. Someone who's been there. um I'm very happy that those people, the middle class people, will be able to work again because the millionaires and billionaires can uh, can get together on a deal. So, um, But anyway, when that lockout was over, the mayor of New York City said, well, now that the lockout is over, it's about time that women should be allowed to play in Major League Baseball. I'll let that sink in for a minute because this is the mayor of New York City. Um, And like I said, there's so much wrong with New York City. Why he felt the need to talk about this is beyond me. But am I crazy in thinking that if there was a female on the planet talented enough to play Major League Baseball, that she would be in the Major Leagues? My feeling is, for instance, go back to when Manon Rayom uh, played the uh, exhibition game, played a period of an exhibition game with Tampa and then played a little bit with Atlanta. Now, if memory serves me correct, correctly, Manon Rayom wasn't even the top woman's goalie at the time. But getting her in an exhibition game garnered so much attention for the NHL, so much attention for Tampa Bay. And she played a period of an exhibition game. So, you mean to tell me that the major league owners are so stupid and so misogynist or misogynistic? I I forget what the correct word is because now the word is said so much, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. But you mean to tell me that the owners, rather than make more money, which is really what it's all about for them, they're going to not let women in major league baseball because they're women? Mm, I don't know. Seems kind of stupid. Could you imagine the uh, attention? that would because let's face it if a woman was was had the ability to play in the majors she wouldn't be on Milwaukee she wouldn't be on Cleveland she'd be with the Yankees she'd be with the Mets she'd be with Boston she'd be with the Dodgers she'd be with the Angels it would be a big name team she would be with that team and the att- the attention a woman would garner just in spring training the attention it would draw to baseball the attention it would draw for those teams. You mean to tell me that the owners, the money they would make, they're not going to do it because they don't want women in Major League Baseball? It's. I'd like to say it's the stupidest thing he's ever said, but, you know, it's not, and he's new. So stay tuned because I'm sure there's plenty coming. It's just, you know, it makes me wonder. There are guys who struggle to make the – there are, I mean, thousands of players. Major League Baseball is like the NHL. They have the minor league system, and guys play their entire careers in the minors, never sniff the NHL. And there are guys who play their entire career in minor league baseball and never sniff the bigs. But now he wants women to play in Major League Baseball. There aren't any women in minor league baseball. Do you not think, again, let's talk about the Yankees don't need the publicity. They're the Yankees. But do you think that a minor league team, talk about the independent teams right here, Long Island Ducks, okay? Do you think if there was a woman talented enough to pitch in minor league baseball, a team like the Ducks wouldn't jump all over it for the publicity, for the extra cash? Think about that. And plus, nowadays, they'd be looked at as heroes, like with the whole inclusivity stuff, you know, all that stuff, there would be baseball teams climbing over themselves to get a woman on their team. Forget about the majors, even in the minors, there would be. So I don't quite understand what his point was, but I think most of his points are pointless anyway. So um, I don't know. I just had a vent about that because I, I thought it was asinine. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. But my feeling is if there was a woman talented enough to play professional baseball, someone would find her whether it was in america canada japan anywhere someone would find her and and it, there's no risk there's no risk at all you bring her onto your team you put her in spring training you play her in some preseason games um and if you're in the minors you you, you know see what she has. like he he's just an idiot he's just an idiot you know But again, it's the whole thing with society now where meritocracy be damned. Just throw it out the window. Just get a woman in the majors because she's a woman. I don't think think a talented woman would even want that. I believe if there was a woman talented enough to play in the majors, she would want to earn that spot. She would want to earn the spot and not get the shot because she's a woman. I guarantee you that. Any woman who has the ability and that has, has played and, and paid her dues in whatever women's leagues there are, would not want the shot just because she's a woman. She'd want to earn it. But, you know, I guess just be grateful. Although maybe, maybe in places like L.A. or something, it's, you're probably running into the same thing. Um, you have a, a person in charge that has shit for brains. So I don't know. But that's just something that uh, I wanted to vent about. I know it has nothing to do with the Islanders, I know it has nothing to do with hockey but you know being in New York you see all this news and like I said I didn't even see it cross my eyes in the news uh Brandon Larson posted it and uh, I saw it on his Facebook feed it was just the, you know one of the stupidest things that mayor Adams has said in the last 2 weeks so um so that's uh, that's all I have to say regarding um the mayor I'm glad I only work in New York. I'd hate to I'd hate to live in New York City. So that would be a nightmare. So today's episode uh Andrei Shrupko appreciation episode. So how this started was obviously we're all aware of the conflict going on right now uh in the Ukraine with Russia and I'll get into it in the intro to this episode, but uh a name that you've heard me mention before, Yuka and uh you've heard um Darren mentioned him on his show and Yuka. I think I'm the only one that calls him Yuka. Uh, most people call him Jay, Jay from Finland. So, um, so you've heard people mention Jay. not to be confused with Jay from Iowa. If you listen to Darren's episodes, they have completely different accents. Um, but Yuka uh, and I were messaging back and forth because he had um, posted some stuff on his Instagram about Andre Shrubko. And we had talked about Andre in the past. Uh, I had met Andre a few times and, uh, Yuka knows that I'm a big fan of his. And, um, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that he was from the Ukraine and, uh, we were talking about it and we were going back and forth. And Yuka said, you know, I really wish that, um, I could get on a podcast to talk about Andre. And I said, you know what, even though it doesn't really fit the rules that I've put out there for my show, um, there are some things bigger than hockey and bigger than hockey fights. And um, you know, I don't know if Andre's ever done podcasts. I don't know if he's comfortable enough with his English and um, you know, at least if, if you're not going to get it right from the horse's mouth, you know, I know Yuka and and Andre are friends. And like I said, I wouldn't consider Andre a friend. He's more of a friendly acquaintance, but I've had my own experiences with him. And I figured, you know what, um, for a one-off here where it has nothing to do with the Islanders, um, and it, and then for me, like I say, in my intro, it kind of puts a face to the conflict going on and, uh, I won't go too much into it because I, I find that I'll just be repeating myself because, um, you know, I did a couple of minute intro, uh, with Yuka before we started chatting and I feel like I'll probably just, I'll probably just stay the same. But, um, when Yuka reminded me that, uh, Andre was from the Ukraine, and then like I said it it kind of put a face to it so uh, I said yeah you know what the hell I I love talking about Andre and um, you know maybe get some information out there uh, for people about Andre's career Uh, get some links out there for websites where if people want to donate to um, the people in the Ukraine right now they can just to bring awareness and you know, like I say at the end of the episode, I know that, uh, you know, I say it all the time. I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not this and that. I don't have that reach. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a mid-level to lower-level podcast, I think, on the food chain. Um, but I know I have loyal listeners out there, and I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, so I figured, why not? Why not? Uh, I'm not going to. Talk about the conflict itself, because I honestly don't know much about it. I'd be out of my depth trying to talk about it. I don't follow it at all. I don't trust the news. But if we could talk about a hockey player from Ukraine, a hockey player that uh, Yuka and I have a mutual respect for, then why not? So um, I hope that you people enjoy this episode. It was um, it was fun talking about Andre. Uh, you know, unfortunately the circumstances, the reason why we're talking about him are beyond unfortunate. Um, but for a couple of hours, you can, I had a good conversation, uh, about a really good guy. And, um, I hope that you people enjoy it. So, um, with that, uh, I'll let, uh, you and I take it away. I hope you enjoy the episode, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of weeks, um, you you must have heard about the situation going on right now in the ukraine uh with the russian invasion and if you know me at all you know that i'm not one for the news i don't trust the news here um i don't trust any of the stations it's a it's a really unfortunate residual effect of how politics is covered in this country so i don't follow the news too much but even for someone like myself, it's impossible to escape. It's on my uh, social media feed. It's, it's everywhere. And, you know, I, I see people, they have their, um, you know, Ukrainian flags on their um, profile pages and things like that, and I stand with the Ukraine. And I think any rational thinking person, obviously, in this uh, scenario is going to be on the side of the Ukraine. I mean, I don't know how you necessarily – I, you don't see I stand with Russia anywhere on the social media, but um, I think for myself, and 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 just being honest here, when I'm watching this coverage or or seeing this coverage, to me, I always look at it as it's over there, it's not here, it's over there. So, um You know, I'm lucky. I think most people listening to this are lucky. Uh, We get up, we go to work, we do our thing, and we don't have to worry about stuff like that because it's over there. And, you know, maybe that's a selfish way to think. I don't know, but I'm just being honest with you people. And um, last week, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Yuka, who you've heard me mention a bunch of times, he was on Fourth Line Voice with Darren. Uh, Yuka's been uh, a good friend for a long time And and um, he's helped me out With a lot of the interviews I've done With research, finding articles And he messaged me And we were chatting about a mutual friend of ours And, and he's a friend of Yuka's he's, I wouldn't say he's my friend He's an acquaintance uh, I met him a few years ago Once again, someone who uh, I met through Dean Ewan As you've heard me say a million times so far And that's Andre Shrupko And I forgot that uh, Andre was from Kiev, and it, it put a face to what's happening over there. And I, I think it's it's it just made it a little more real for me. Now I, I've been around Andre a couple of times when uh, I went to see Dean in Las Vegas. I, I I was there for a couple of days, and then. Later on, when Andre was with Syracuse, I would see him, I saw him a couple of times when they came in to play the Phantoms, but, so we're not tight, we're not close at all, he's an acquaintance. But, when uh, Yuka reminded me of that, it put a face to what was going on, and and it made it a little more real, it made it a little, it it hit closer to home, I think, because I actually know someone that was born there, and and has family there, and then it kind of it kind of stunned me for a little bit, like, holy shit, you know, now, now I could put a face to this. And so you and I were messaging back and forth. And obviously if if you've listened to the show before, you know, this is a, uh, it's an Islander enforcer based podcast and uh, I'm not shying away. um not shying away, but I'm not veering away from that format for, you know, for good. But for this episode, uh, I am going to veer away from the Islander, uh, affiliation portion of it because um, I love Andre Shrubko as a player. He was a really nice guy when I met him. Uh, Yuka has some really good stories about him. And um, not that it's important. I'm not going to say it's important. Like the world's going to go on if if I don't do this episode. But, um, you know, I think, I think with what's going on right now, um, it's something that, you know, again, not needed to be done, but it, it's something that maybe – uh just give you you people out there a little more information on someone who who is from Kiev and uh who is going through something right now that's way bigger than hockey so um so on the line with me right now uh, uh and like I said if you're familiar with uh, the fourth line voice podcast you uh, you've heard him on there and um and like I said you've heard me mention him numerous times on this show uh and that is my and I call him a Swede but uh we know he's not from Sweden he's from Finland and that's my friend Yuka.
1: And uh, Yuka, how's it going today? Well, it's a uh, nice spring weather here. Almost the snow is melting away, so I can't wait to to go back and you know get back into the swing of things and you know start my hiking season soon.
0: Well, wow, that's uh, that's good. Yeah, Yuka, if you follow Yuka on Instagram, he always posts some pretty interesting pictures um, of the the nature and. Uh, nature scenes and and is where he goes hiking and all this other stuff. It's pretty interesting. It's, uh, you know, one of the cool things about social media is um, and there's very few cool things about social media, but one of the cool things is when you're friends with someone like you and you can see, uh, see the stuff that you do on the other side of the world and see some nice scenery. It's, it's actually pretty cool. So uh, when you're not posting your old punk rock pictures from your, uh, your younger days, you got those good scenery pictures up there so so I'm looking forward to that and you know hopefully uh, at some point you'll be able to do so without any sort of specter of doom hanging over you
1: so um so
0: other than that what uh, what have you been doing lately
1: well uh <clears throat> over here in finland uh what what I can tell you is since the um since the war began uh a lot of people who I know here including myself we are uh, <laughs> little afraid what might happen with our neighbor. And uh, also these stories about the Ukrainians and how many people here have already made uh, so-called rescue drives through Europe to bring people to safety. And uh, two weeks ago, like you said, uh, we started talking after I made some posts on social media, but uh, I was preparing for another game. And then just there, I was with my, you know, tactic board, and it just dawned on me like, well, my my buddy Andre, when is he gonna be able to prepare for a game next time, or uh, what's he doing now? Is he even alive? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 pretty damn heavy. And uh, I hope uh, when people listen to this episode, even though if. What what's happening right now in the world is, from your from your point of view, it's over there, but here, uh, you know, personally, it's on my backyard. But for millions of Ukrainians, it's happening in real life, and even this morning, right uh, right during the dawn, the first shelling again began there, and they are hitting places that are not usually. You know, military targets or threats, and they're hitting maternity hospitals and mothers who are giving birth are are uh, carried away on self-made, you know, uh, stretchers, and they're they're wounded. And um, I asked you to also post these couple charitable links on the episode description and what i can tell here now is that uh the two links that i chose are through united nations and unicef because that's about as legit as you can get so but uh what if we try to talk some hockey
0: yeah so we'll do that and uh, well before before we do that just so um people get a feel and it's actually a question that i had for you before we started recording so we know about your neighbor. Uh, the big red menace is your neighbor. Um, how How close is uh is Ukraine to where you are?
1: well if, if I take my car and you know drive through you know through Europe and the Baltics uh, I would re- reach Ukraine in about fifteen hours yeah. and And from where I am right now, I could reach the Russian border in about three hours.
0: And, and I think, um, you know, again, we talk about over there and, and, and for mo you know, for my whole life, pretty much, you know, with the exception of, you know, say nine eleven and and maybe a few other smaller isolated things, um, everything's been over there and over there changes over, you know, right now over there is the Ukraine, but over there is, is always somewhere else. Um, can you... And, and we'll get to hockey in a second, but I just want want to emphasize this for for the listeners um you're, you're three hours from the Russian border and you know you which means that there are people in Finland that are minutes from the Russian border and mm-hmm. because of their their leader uh, and how really deranged he is um, obviously the target right now is the ukraine but but what what kind of fear? for a country like Finland is there that, you know, it could be, he could turn on a dime and and once he's done with the Ukraine, he may turn to other countries like yours.
1: Well, uh, we've all been able to read about the um, what the Russian politicians think about Finland. We've been a- able to read about it in the media for quite some time now and also way back in 1939. Uh, if people want to check up this on, on online, you can find minila shellings meaning that russia or so- soviet union at the time they staged explosions on their soil to to justify an attack on finland so it's not that far removed and uh yeah tough to talk about it
0: yeah no i i can honestly i can't even imagine it you know to to have to And like you said, it's not that long ago. And and to see, you know, like I had said in in my very long intro, I don't read the news. I'm very, um, you know, and that started with me back when when everything happened with my incident because uh, I got to learn firsthand about um, agendas and and newspapers having agendas and news networks having agendas. So I was sort of jaded even way back then. Uh, And then when, when, um, you know, the uh, two elections ago, <clears throat> two, excuse me two elections ago and last election i mean by last election that the sides were set the news uh, news agencies were set which side they were on and uh my thing has always been there shouldn't be sides in news news should just be news um and unfortunately over here with the trump and hillary election that to me is really when uh the news Uh, outlets picked sides. And that's really when I said, okay, I'm done because I'm never going to get the truth. And, uh, it really depends on which side you're on and that's going to be the truth that you get. So, um, and I know you're obviously you're, you're in the thick of it over there. So you, you, um, you get the news over there. Um, and you do follow the news over here in North America. So, um, can you kind of give us an idea how accurate? Our news is over here covering the situation. Is it is it close to being accurate? And also, is it close to being as intense? I'm sure that your news, being so close to this situation,
1: has to be more up to date and more accurate. Well, I would say that uh, just the mere volume and the amount of news which you can find online these days is it's just staggering. So I don't see any reason why it. it <clears throat> Why any people or my friends, you know, from U.S. or Canada, should just, you know, stick to, the, you know, their own, you know, local and you know, domestic news sites. There's a lot of information online what you can search, and uh, this is an interesting thing. Like, um, uh, well, th- thanks, you know, to uh, a tech, technology and social media, but now it's like uh, you can find social media outlets that. Basically, allow you to follow war in real time.
0: <laughs> crazy. You can see people crazy.
1: from shelters. You can see these little kids who have died in a war. You can see it, everything if you just care to look for it. It's it 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 you know probably won't <laughs> be on the New York Times, but it's right there if you just care to Google for. Russia-Ukraine crisis, and uh, it's pretty surreal to see that people are just, you know, almost like, it It gives me, like, the feeling like these people now have accepted, now this is their reality at this moment, and they are posting videos on Instagram or on, you know, whatever social media platform and showing us this reality which nobody (coughs) ever thought that we would see in you know you know 2022 in in real life in europe so it's uh well you can find whatever you want but also uh i might say a, a bit of a warning here there are some very graphic images and videos so
0: it yeah. and and It's like I I said to you again before we were recording, and I've said it to to everybody when the the topic comes up, is you just, you know, obviously for for people our age, uh, when you're in school, you learn about the World Wars, you learn about Vietnam, you learn about Korea. And because there really hasn't been a conflict like that magnitude in a very long time, you just kind of, you know, in my mind anyway, you just kind of figure well we're we're kind of past that like everyone has their piece of the pie now we know who the the big countries are you know there's always the you know there's always been that threat of of Russia or um North Korea uh with those two maniacs there and 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 listen i'm sure people in Russia and North Korea they probably look at America like we look at them i'm sure with the propaganda <laughs> that um that they're told and i mean listen i I have no, no love for our government here. I don't trust the government here at any level. Um, But I'm, and I'm sure, like I said, the stuff that we get about Russia and North Korea, I'm sure they're getting uh, about America here, but I always kind of figured, you know, that a lot of that is always, there's a threat, there's a threat, but you never think anything's going to really happen. And, and I, I guess that's the biggest thing for me is that in 2022, we're having this conversation and we're seeing this stuff on the news. And I I always just kind of figured this wasn't going to happen again. This was uh, something really extreme would have to happen. And it just seems like this is just one guy, uh, you know, with Napoleon complex trying to flex his muscles or or whatever it is, trying to make a statement. And, um, you know, people are dying because of it. And and not just Ukrainian people, a, a lot of Russian people who, uh, from what i understand really do not support what uh putin is doing and and you know he's i'm sure he's safe and sound in his fortress there and and really it's just a bunch of innocent people dying because he's uh, he's a maniac
1: well yeah that's that much is true and also um i don't think ever ever before in history has europe being as unified as what we are now. Right. And uh, there's zero, you know, uh, you know, zero talk in the media about the left-wing or, you know, right-wing, you know, politics, because mm-hmm. everybody has now come together right. and decided to work for the fact that we all want to live in peace. And uh, when uh, President uh, Zelensky spoke to the British House of Commons, uh, Every speaker there, you know from those British uh, political parties, everybody said the same message. We should put aside our our political differences and make sure that we help these people who are in need and we we maintain peace in Europe. So.
0: it would be nice if um all the people in charge over here could uh, put their bullshit aside uh, you know I don't it's funny because you say that you don't think Europe has ever been more unified and and in this country here uh I don't think we've ever been more divided and the funny thing is again when we talk about uh partisan politics no matter who you talk to they blame the other side so uh but anyway um I'm not Joe Rogan or uh any of these political people here so we're here to really talk about uh to we're here to talk about Andre talk about uh his career and i know you have a lot of great information about it so uh before we get started with uh, andre why don't you give uh, the people a little bit of a background on uh on your hockey roles over the years so uh i know them and and if people listen to your episode with darren uh they i know you rattled off some of your credentials there but um, you know, for, for all you people out there, it's this Yuka is uh, he's not just a fan out there in Finland, he's a guy that's uh, he's been in the game a long time, many different roles. So, um, and and uh, don't be modest here before we talk about Andre. Why don't you uh, why don't you rattle off some of your credentials here
1: so people know that you're legit? All right, well, first of all, I'm uh, I'm Finnish Canadian and uh worked uh, in professional hockey here in Europe in in Finland in Norway France worked for the Saskatoon blades and uh, you know I'm sure this is what you are the most proud of about me and my career is my my multi-year involvement with the Italian national junior teams
0: of course of course yeah yeah
1: and <laughs> of course uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of things what I've done in hockey, um, you know, coaching wise. And like in Europe, we have this uh, title, sports manager, which basically means uh, you know director of hockey operations. But yeah, I've been working in hockey almost all my all my life, and uh, of course, I was a big fan when I was younger. And uh, funny to say, I, I was the fan of a uh, of the fight doctor Cholosido. <laughs> for 20 years ago so yeah i'm a fanboy <laughs> well that was uh you know
0: <laughs> so the I, I i've said this before the person that um i had a i had a website where i had a you know i think we all did at that point any of us that traded tapes back in the day so i had a website that had my list of tapes and uh, I, I'm i still a dinosaur when it comes to technology, but especially back then I was. And there was uh, a friend of mine, Jim, and he he put the site together for me. And he's like, well, we need a title for it. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know. And he's like, well, we'll call you the fight doctor. And I'm like, well, there not there one of those already? And he said, well, not for hockey. And I said, well, all right, whatever. I, I think it sounds pretty goofy, but, uh, you know, we laughed about it, and he's like, yeah, he goes, you know, it's it's what you do, and I said, all right, and uh, I still laugh about it now, and, and, uh, you know, when someone brings it up like you, I just, I roll my eyes and shake my head, because I'm like, oh my god, because especially, and this is something that um, Darren and I have spoken about, like, when you're before the internet, you are in your group of friends, and you're the guy, like, you're you're the fight guy, like everyone, you have your, your group, you know, hockey friends, and uh, and you're the guy who loves the fights. And, you, like, you're like, there's not that many nut jobs out there that likes the fighting as much as I do. And then next thing you know, you're on, you get the internet, and uh, you're on, like, fried chicken fight site, and you're like, <laughs> wow, wow, there are a lot of maniacs out there just like me, and they know just as much as I do, if not more, And then, then a name like the fight doctor becomes even goofier because you're like, wow, this person knows even more than I do. And, uh, it was actually a really, really cool to discover it. Like, Hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not the only one here in the fight asylum. There's a bunch of us there. So, so, uh, I, you know, I'm glad that, you know, that we hooked up that way, but, uh, the whole fight doctor thing is just goofy. So, uh, but you made me laugh right now. So.
1: Yeah, and like uh, in those days, in, in in the mid-90s, we had uh, two different monthly NHL magazines that we o- we always bought. One was Inside Hockey, and the other one was Pro Hockey. And of course, uh, you, Mr. Lacido, you used to write to one of these magazines. But what... Uh, I'm not sure if I, I ever told you this, but both magazines had their own, like... Enforcer series. Okay. And I always read your stories with great interest because the other magazine, yeah, sure, they had great interviews and articles on guys like Ken Ball Gardner and, you know, Paul Laws and, you know, all those guys. But the funniest thing is that the person who wrote those articles was a former Finnish NHL player who since became an agent and he had just translated all those interviews from the Stan Fischler's Bad Boys book series. Uh, I didn't I'm know sure, that. <laughs> I'm sure in the mid-90s, this guy was very confident that no one would ever find out. Right. <laughs> but I had those books already. I was like, you know, reading these, like, this seems too familiar. And then I started, you know, comparing these interviews and oh, oh, these articles. I'm like wow what a sneaky little bastard
0: <laughs> yes. hey you know these fins you can't trust them all the time you know but uh hey that that worked out great so for for uh people that aren't familiar with that and obviously uh you may not be unless you're in sweden finland or norway uh that was pro hockey magazine and um uh one of the main guys at that magazine stein he would come to Uh, New York once a year, it seemed like he loved to do it. He's a big, big Rangers fan. So it was like uh, an annual trip to the Mecca for him uh, to come over and get some pictures that we supplied their pictures at at Bruce Bennett studios. We supplied their, their photos for the magazine. It was a very, very photo centric magazine. I mean, for people in Europe, it must've been amazing every month that that came out because it was just these, it was a big magazine, and the photos were gigantic and they had posters in it. So it must've been, you know, for NHL fans over there, it must've been a dream every month. And, um, so Stein, you know, very, very friendly guy. Good guy. He was friendly with all of us. And, um, I, I saw that he started putting out these, uh, interviews with, with the fighters. And, and I said, well, how do you, how do you get these interviews? You know, time difference and all this other stuff. And, uh you know basically to date ourselves he said he would contact the PR directors for the teams and fax over questions just for the players to answer and I said oh okay I said listen if you want I'm I'm at the games if you want to get me a press pass I'm more than happy to do the interviews in person and um he did that for the Islanders had a press credential for a few years and um, it was a pretty good gig because it was a monthly magazine. So it wasn't that after every game I was down there and, uh, getting these interviews. Uh, so it was a pretty good gig and, uh, I mean, it's great. And, um, just doing these interviews and I had known some of the guys already, so that made it even easier, but it was, uh, really, that was my first foray into the, uh, hockey publication side of things. So, uh, so I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Hopefully other people did
1: as well. Yeah, and that sounds very similar to my story, which you know about, which I'm dying to tell and explain about, to Mr. Rick Hayward. Because if, uh, you know, Rick said that, you know, Trevor Doyle owes him a free holiday in Europe, but Mr. (laughs) Hayward, I kind of owe you my career, and I I would like to to explain why. (laughs) Feel free, go ahead. Not, not here, not now. But uh, mm. first, I want to talk to him in person, and then maybe someday, like you know, I can explain about this story on air, and okay. maybe some stories uh, about our mutual friend uh, Matthew Nickerson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think
0: you, you did. Did you uh, talk about Nickerson on uh, Darren's show? I think you might have. So, uh...
1: yeah, and I'm actually a little jealous that he decided to spend this past weekend with you because we also had plans, you know, we planned that we would go right, you know, we would go right ponies and we would go to hot yoga and Justin Bieber's concert. But I guess he, he decided to meet with you and not me and well, tough life. Well,
0: I think, I think, um, long Island's a little closer to Connecticut than, than where you are. But, uh, we were actually supposed to hook up a few times, uh, before, uh, this past weekend. So, uh, so it was nice to actually come to fruition, you know. Got to meet him and and his lovely wife and his in-laws. We got to spend the day. Well, we we went to the Islanders game and um, it was funny. Him and I are texting while the game's going on. Is this a no-hit league? And you know the two dinosaurs just uh, commenting on the uh, the state of hockey now. So, uh, but it was it was great. You know, Matt and I have been been friends for a long time, but we've never. And I think it's it's like a lot of guys that, that I know, and maybe a lot of people a situation now you've been friends with someone and uh, you know, you could chat with them and all this other stuff, but you may not actually ever see them or, or meet them in person. And um, you know, we, uh, we were actually, he actually invited us to go um, go down South with them on vacation, but the COVID the way it screwed everything up for me and my jobs and stuff. And just, and, and with my kids and their school, it was very complicated. So uh, we would have spent a lot of on, I know everybody listening right now really doesn't care, but um, we were going to actually spend a week or so together uh, a few months ago that, well, last summer, I guess is more than a few months, but that got screwed up. So the fact that, uh, you know, he had his family, uh, his wife's family in from Finland, uh, you know, they wanted to get to the game and, so we took the opportunity to uh, to come over and look at the hockey room and uh, you know uh, pound down some beers and everything and uh, it was just uh, it was a lot of fun so uh, we do have plans to get together again this summer so uh, I go up to the Nickerson compound uh, shoot some guns and um, eat some dead animals and pound some beers. It'll be a lot of fun so
1: and you'll have to give him a big soft hug for me.
0: <laughs> I will it'll be very tender.
1: <laughs> so. But hey, let's talk about the main star of the show, Andre Shripko. Yep.
0: So you I'll let you well, I'll give yours your part of the story is gonna be a lot longer than mine. You're gonna have the good stories. Okay. So so let me I, I guess I'll start here just uh how I became aware of Andre. Um, uh, you know, like I said, you're you have a lot more stories, so just so people understand how, how I know uh Andre, um like I said a few minutes ago like so many of these people that I, I've met and become very good friends with or, or met and have been acquaintances with, uh, it all originates with with Dean Ewan. Now, Dean, his second-to-last season pro was 98-99 with uh, Vegas. And I know um, I probably, whether it's been on this show or in the past, I have uh, spoken about that team. That team was just full of cement. Um, just to give you an idea – uh, Brad Miller was on the team. He led the team in penalty minutes with 264. Uh, Dean was second with 251. Killer Kaminsky on the team, third in penalty minutes with 217, and he only played 39 games. Um, <laughs> Yuka, your friend of mine, Sammy Hellenius, by the way, um, if you speak Finnish or can read Finnish, pick up Yuka's book about Sammy Hellenius. Um, 193 PIMs in 42 games. Then the aforementioned Andre Shrubko, 51 games, 164 minutes. Louis DeBrusque is on this team, 160 minutes (laughs) in 26 games. Uh, Peter Zerb is on this team, 89 penalty minutes. I'm just scrolling down. Uh, Keith McCambridge spent some time this year on that team. Uh, Luch Luch Nisato is on this team. Uh, Chad Wagner uh, played four games at 29 minutes. Phil Crow played 14 games. Uh, Lorne Taves played 13 games. Uh, I'm still scrolling here. It's uh, I mean, this is just the cement factory here. Uh, let's see. Anyone else? Um, doesn't look like it. But uh, And, of course, uh, Islander legend Bob Bourne was the coach and assistant coach. Another guy who didn't mind dropping the gloves, Rod Buskis. So, um, I think it was probably the 1999 portion of that year uh andrew and i went to vegas to to visit dean see a few games and um <clears throat> even before that when uh you know i i actually thanked dean i was going through some old pictures this week and just uh brought back a lot of memories like I, i'm so grateful that him and i are, are so close because i feel like i got to ride shotgun for his career and we would we would always talk about the road trips uh the home games he was you know he played and fights he had and the guys that were coming in that, you know, coming up. And I remember when, uh, he first mentioned Andre, like he was so excited, so excited about having Andre as a teammate, because I I don't think he'd ever heard of him before that. And, um, when I, I had reached out to Dean this week to get, uh, get his thoughts on Andre it really, like I said, I remember the conversation we had, he was just, um, just pumped about this kid And I had never heard of him at that point. And so I had asked Dean what he remembers. And uh, he said, the only thing I really remember story-wise is a great fight he had with uh, Jason Schmier uh, from Manitoba. He went after Schmier all the time. I don't think he liked him very much. Uh, Off the ice, really, really quiet, tough kid, and really rare to find a kid from Europe who really liked to fight that much. He had an old-school WHL kind of mentality, which really it's obvious why dean liked him so much i mean as far as a person uh you know quiet guy but but friendly very friendly good team guy and on the ice especially with that team i mean that you you i read the names there and you know to have another guy like that and and a guy you know at that point dean's towards the end of his career still still ready to go but i think dean was always a guy who enjoyed having tough teammates uh, enjoyed helping them out, enjoyed uh, mentoring them. And uh, I just know he just loved, loved Andre. So um, so that is when I first met Andre was our trip out to Vegas. And again, like, you know, he didn't know me. He knew I was friends with Dean. So we chatted a, probably a little bit because, again, there's a language barrier. And then a few years later when he was with, uh, I guess it was Columbus, the Columbus organization, he, he played uh, a couple of seasons for Syracuse and they would play the Phantoms all the time, and mm-hmm. um, we were in Philadelphia at the time, and uh, I would see him after a few games, so again, I mean, as far as myself and Andre go, we're acquaintances, uh, I love watching his fights, I, lo- I, th- I think he's, uh, he's a lot of fun to watch, uh, nowhere near the relationship that you two have, so really, as far as my personal experiences with him, that's really where they begin and end, and yeah. fortunately having you on the line uh you have a lot more personal experiences with him personal stories so uh this is where i'm going to let you take the mic and take over
1: well i'm i don't have that that much more you know personal stories with andre I only met him i think three times but you know, granted, the, the the most latest and you know the previous time was in 2017 when he was the head coach of the Ukrainian under 20 national team and I was working for the Italian under 20 team and I knew that Andre was going to be the head coach of Team Ukraine and we had a long bus ride from from Italy over to Bled Slovenia where they played the tournament and and the boys always knew that you know the, you know they can ask me about uh, about you know hockey and about you know some good stories and what not and funny even though uh, every year when we had these new boys coming in for you know the training camps, <clears throat> uh, I never you know explained these boys about my past, but because I know that the boys talk, and very often in the bus. I would hear that, okay, now there's, again, somebody's watching the Ice Warriors, the uh, 2010 Hockey Fight Tournament that I helped set up in Finland. And, (laughs) of course, I told this guy some stories about, yeah, this guy, Srebko, he's the head coach of, of Ukraine. Like, he was crazy fucking tough and, you know, you should, you know go on on youtube and you know watch some of his fights and you know he was just you know pumping guys and you know he fought shorts la and sandy mccarthy who were you know top guys back in the day and you know i was really hyping up andre to these guys to our players our dear 17 18 19 (laughs) year olds and then when we get to slovenia we get to the hotel i see on (laughs) i see andre in the lobby and I go and, you know, shake his hand and hug him <laughs> and all our players look in disbelief. <laughs> so that was something I did, you know, intentionally. <clears throat> and uh, regarding Dean Ewan, uh, this is what Andre told me about Dean uh, in 2003. It's like 19 years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, what he remembers Dean most is about is that he was such a valuable player on the ice, off the ice. But when it came to fighting, maybe Dean didn't win each and every one of his fights. But nobody beat Dean either. Nobody put him down. That's what Andre told me all those years ago. And I I can't remember ever seeing anyone, you know, putting Dean down. Like, yeah, maybe I've seen him, you know, lose fights. Maybe he only threw five punches against, you know, 20 punches. But I actually don't. I can't remember ever seeing anybody like manhandling Dean or, you know, putting him down.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because we've, we've talked about that before and, you know, Dean, the fact, the fact that, um, you know, for those of you who, who haven't listened, Dean was my first guest, my very first guest. And Dean is about as modest as it gets. And the fact that I got as much uh, material out of him, for public consumption now obviously over the years him and I I mean we he's all the stories that you've heard I've heard and more and you know just two guys talking but uh the fact that he he would do all that for for public consumption really says a lot because he is uh you know there are some guys that that wear their hockey career uh like a badge of honor wear it on their sleeve they want you to know they played and uh, Dean's the exact opposite. Dean is, uh you know, he's just a guy. Uh, playing hockey was was fun, uh, at sometimes painful. But if yeah. uh, you could be friends with Dean, like if someone met him now or in the last ten years, you could be friends with him and never know that he was ever a professional athlete. And uh, he he's sort of embarrassed by it at times because he did coach a lot of he coached a lot of youth hockey, and. After, you know, I don't know how long it would take, but I remember he'd say, oh, someone found some of my fights on YouTube and, and he would just like be like, oh my God, you know, stuff like that. So, uh but it's funny that you mentioned that because there were times we would talk about it and uh the one fight that I, I go back to all the time and, and it, the story that uh, I always remember was the exhibition fight he had with David Maley at the Coliseum and um, Maley hit him with a few good ones and he, and he did not go down. And then um, after the game, cause it was still training camp. So all the, the guys who didn't live on the Island were staying across the parking lot at the Marriott. So I was back there waiting for him to hang out and everything. And he just looks at me with this face, with these eyes, he goes, why didn't you tell me he was a lefty? And I'm like, well, I thought you knew. And it was just like, Oh my God. But, Again, Melee, tough guy, hit him with some really tough shots, but um you notice that if you watch if you watch Dean's fights, yeah, he doesn't win everything, but he doesn't go down. And uh yeah. I think if you if you ask him now, he might tell you, maybe I should have gone down in a couple of them, uh, saved some damage. But um yeah, he, he it's one of his things where even now as we're we're speaking, I'm kind of going through the Rolodex of his fights in my mind and I really can't remember any of them where where he went down and i mean this is he's played with a bunch of injuries and still never went down he just stood up and battled in all
1: of them so even like you know with this story like now it's it's so evident that even the professional fighters they needed the help and the uh, consultation of the fight doctor and when they didn't (laughs) get it it meant trouble
0: well again i i think uh i think you might be uh overstating my reach (laughs) and that stupid nickname but I think with Dean and I, it was, uh, you know, we would always, uh, I would always give him scouting reports on certain guys, especially in the minors, because you may get a guy coming up from the East Coast League that he may not know about. And, well, I heard this guy got called up. Do you know anything about him? But, you know, I think Dean watched fight tapes, and I'm not sure he really did it. Dean was never one that got absorbed into the role like that. Like I obviously you have to do it to a certain extent, but I just think yeah. Dean, Dean, um, I think Dean was always more concerned with real life stuff. Uh, you know, family type stuff off the ice stuff. And if the fights came to him, then they, then he'd fight. I mean, obviously there were certain opponents he went looking for it, but um I think a lot of times Dean liked to watch the fight tapes just for entertainment. And uh, obviously maybe some scouting too, but um i don't know i just uh you know knowing him the way that i know him it was never um it was always family first and um never really seemed too hung up on guys if, if he had uh, hey this guy just got called up do you know anything about him but it wasn't like it was ever like a panic situation it was always just like hey what do you know about this guy and um you know and and like i said the thing with Meili, I just figured he I just figured everybody knew Meili was a lefty but uh, apparently uh one person didn't and um uh, but again he took some shots but didn't go down so uh, yeah. but, uh
1: but but yeah No that that gives me a great way to get back into Andre's story and uh <clears throat> like well now with this case with you, you know telling us about is, was that that there was no communication between you and Dean and that he were you know had <clears throat> had loved to have known that Mele was a lefty, but okay. Imagine this: uh, in my episode with Darren, uh, I I talked about the European players and tough guys, you know, coming through the North American hockey ranks and how difficult it was for them, because not only didn't uh, their own teammates, you know, want to have anything to do with them back in the early days, but mm-hmm. neither did the opponents. So. When Andre first made it to the ECHL, he came from uh, from a Canadian Junior A league. He he came there from from the Langley Thunder of of the BC Junior League. The funny thing is that Andre also played one game from for the uh, Kamloops Blazers in the Western League, and at one point his rights were actually traded over to the Regina Pats, but. The Pats were unable to get his international international release, so he spent weeks with the team, but wasn't a- able to play. Oh, okay, I didn't so, know that. Okay, yeah. So when he <clears throat> when he played in the BCHL in his first year, <clears throat> he not only took upon the role, but like he had no idea that he would have to fight. Because they didn't fight in, in Ukrainian hockey. They didn't fight in the old Soviet Union days. It was all about speed and skill, like you very well know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he had to take upon this new role. Okay, so he took it. And uh, he actually... <laughs> I found this box score of, of one of the games in Langley. It it must have been quite the game on sep- sep- September twelfth, nineteen ninety five, a preseason game. Both Andre Shribko, and Stephen Pete, who played defense at the time, mm-hmm. scored a goal in that game and had a fight. And Stephen Pete was fifteen, I mm-hmm. think. That's crazy to think. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, he was Andre was billeted in a family called the Green family. And I found some some quotes from the from the mother of the family saying that having Andre here was always so much fun and he's still part of part of the family and he will be part of the family forever. And this was in the time when Andre didn't speak any English, like literally zero English. Okay? Because there at the time uh, there was no chance for him to learn English in school. There was no chance for him to hear English on TV or on the radio. Right. And there's a lot of countries here in Europe which still actually, they <clears throat> dub all the TV shows in Italian, in German. So, of course, this uh, generation said they they know English because they've always played English video games, they always, you know, hear English music, they they watch English shows on Netflix, but this is like uh, almost 30 years ago, so that was probably a very tough leap for a teenager to go from Ukraine over to beautiful BC, but still, like, having zero chance to communicate with anyone, you have to learn to fight all of a sudden, like, why do why does everybody want to fight me? And and I know because like now what I'm getting to, like when you were talking about you, Dean and this David Maley fight, well, when Andre made it to the uh, ECHL, he played in, in the Toledo storm and he has told me this and maybe a little more, which I I, I don't want to tell everything what he he, he you know might have told me in private but for for those seasons when he was in, in ECHL he basically told me that the only friend he had in the team was the coach Greg Puhalski. Really? And and he he was called by all those bad names what people back then might have called another person, you know, coming from the old Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. I don't want to even, you know, repeat those words. Yeah, but nobody even tried to basically be his friend. He would hear a lot of bad words, and yet Andre fought approximately thirty fights in his first first year. And, and another 30 times in his second year in the ECHL, protecting the very teammates who didn't even want to be his friends because he came from Russia, basically, in, in their eyes.
0: Yeah, there was uh, definitely that stigma. And even, you know, that started when when the Soviet players first came over. Like uh, I think Priyakin was the first one that came over with Calgary. And then, uh, you know, you get the bigger-name guys, you know, guys with New Jersey like uh, Starikov and Kasatonov and Fetisov. Uh, I mean, everyone knows the other guys: Laryanov, uh, Krutov with Vancouver. Uh, there was definitely that stigma, and and it was the stigma was for for people that maybe uh, weren't aren't old enough to have been there. Was oh here and listen, I'll say it. You know, here come the commies are coming to take our jobs and. Uh, you know, there was really they had to go above and beyond, and I think for some of the guys, like at least the guys on the Devils, let's say, where they had a couple of players, so I'm sure they they at least had each other to rely on. Um, but uh, you know, you think about some of these guys that were loners uh, or just the lone Russians on these uh, on these NHL teams, and even and this is years before someone like Andre came over. Uh, it had to be a lonely feeling and you know i think i think it's a double edged sword um so speaking so there were guys obviously some of the players uh were legends over in russia like a guy like krutov in russia was was an amazing player it, it just his style never lent itself to the north american game and then you have players like Larianov and and uh, kasatonov and fatisov and those guys were were excellent over here so it's like any other it's like any other player you know coming up from a different league even from the minors to the nhl uh some games are better suited for the nhl than others and i think where some of the animosity came in was that aside from the fact that they were taking jobs away from north american players it was they were maybe getting the benefit of the doubt without proving themselves. And they were coming here uh, because they, you know, everyone was curious about the Soviet players and the Soviet machine where they haven't proved themselves over here. And a guy on an NHL roster might have a buddy in the minors that has, has been battling there for years and deserves a shot. But because he's just a Canadian kid or an American kid uh, won't get that shot, but they're opening the doors, to the russians and i think that also built some animosity and and that was you know that was in the 80s like the the mid to late 80s and even with andre now we're talking about the 90s and that still existed and like i said it, it's as far as a person goes andre definitely was a quiet guy a modest guy so it's not like andre came in all like i'm a big shot i'm this i'm that he was probably you know came in tail between his legs didn't want to make any waves just wanted to be part of the team and even yeah. then it even then it, it, it was difficult and like you say like I got and obviously the fight card isn't complete but I got his um his old you know fight card yeah uh dropped the gloves here and you know like you say over 30 times they, they have like 21 fights i mean right away he's taken on guy like people that follow fighting they know like Stefan Madour he played some games in, in the American League you know, Brad Essex, Justin McPolin, Matthew Rabby Lauren Taves, who later became his teammate. You know, I mentioned him already. Uh, you know, uh, Alex Alipin. That was just that first year. You know, and then, like, you think you would th- – and even the second year, like, I'm scrolling down, you got Rob Frid, you got um, Pete right. Vandermeer's on there, you got Esse- Essex again, Ray Edwards.
1: Darren Kimball.
0: Yeah, da- well, yeah, then he goes to the IHL for a couple of games, fights a guy like Brian Chapman, Darren Kimball. Um, and his last fight in the East Coast League is a guy named Dennis Wright, who I saw play some games in Worcester. Uh, really, really tough guy. So, and you would think that a role like that uh, would be the quickest way to uh, ingratiate yourself to your teammates because you're battling for them. You're 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 putting yourself out there a lot of times for your teammates, and and even still uh that was an uphill battle for andre and uh you know and i'm sure i'm sure a lot of guys their metal was tested and they they went home and i'm glad that andre wasn't one of those guys who went home
1: yeah and what i want to say here is that uh that everything what i quote here with what andre has told me i i, I will try to you know make a make a point to to let you know whenever I I read or tell something which he told me, or if I use Andres' quotes from from other sources, like some of these Russian newspapers. Mm-hmm. But what he told me, and no matter if we talked about his his best fights or about the locker room problems, he would, you know, sit there, he would have this little smile, and he would just say how things are and how things were, he would he would not you know he would never uh you know he he would just say what was necessary and you know what was enough i will, i remember i never heard any regret in his voice i never heard any you know how can i say it? like i never sensed that he wanted you know to have my pity just because Maybe there were some guys in the locker room who didn't want to talk to him. And this is not, I'm not going to point my finger to all the players who played in Toledo. I'm sure there were guys who didn't mind having Andre there who probably wanted to be his buddy. But we all know how these chemistries can go if there's one outsider in the locker room and there's a couple alpha males. Mm -hmm. So is it easier to follow the pack? Or not, right. you know.
0: Right.
1: But uh, as far as his first professional season goes, you mentioned all these great names that he fought, like Mac Poling, M- Matthew Rabiel, Lauren Tace Alex Alepin, etc. But before that first pro season, he was in his first NHL camp with Calgary. He had two fights against Sandy McCarthy, and Sandy. Even though, in in Andre's own words to me, uh, Andre confessed that Sandy beat him, or he he was the stronger guy. Mm-hmm. But Sandy was frustrated enough that he actually hit butted Andre twice
0: oh.
1: <laughs> in the second fight. <laughs> and I don't have the dates for these, you know, training camp clashes, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that within within a week from this, you know, intra-squad game uh, and these two fights against Sandy McCarthy, Andre fought in a preseason game. They played against Oilers. He fought Shorts LaRocque. <laughs> so, hey, so, going so, after the big boys there. Yeah, so then, like, I would just, you know, what you said there was, you know, pretty well said, like, about, you know that we will imagine that fighting the toughest, you know, people alive would be, you know, the fastest ticket, you know, to gain some acceptance and, you know, make friends. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know why these guys would not want to, you know, be your buddies if you've already shown that as a 21-year-old European, you are willing to fight McCarthy and Laroque. How many guys in those, you know, Toledo teams were who who would have dropped the gloves against those two guys? Just, you know, makes me wonder.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, uh, okay. So, Andre's trip over to North America. Well, I don't have the details. Either I never asked him or or then I'm getting old and I don't remember everything. But uh, Yeah, or both. But uh, he played as a forward until he was 16, and then his his coach made him the D. And uh, then when he got over to to Langley, uh, he made the comment that in in Canadian hockey, he had to learn to be an ice cop. And this word comes from a Russian magazine. But uh, he said that in every game they tested me. And in every game i with I withstood all their attacks. That school made me who I am and who I was. I think that's that's pretty neat.
0: Oh, definitely. I listen there's there's no way uh, it, no matter what the task is and, and um, it doesn't have to be physical altercations. It could be anything learning anything to you know something on the computer or learning how to swim. They always say the best way to do it is jump in the deep end, and uh, he he certainly jumped in the deep end fighting some of the guys he did. So uh, you're going to learn in a hurry—that's for sure. For better or worse, you're going to learn in a hurry.
1: And what's even nicer is that I found some articles that uh, after his second year in the BSC Junior League, Andre also received some votes in the uh, in the poll after the season for the for the best. A defenseman in the whole league, oh. so he was doing something right. Like uh, I have this great quote from his, you know, professional years that uh, Steve Parsons sent me. I would like to read it now because we were talking about also his, you know, playing abilities and not just fighting so what steve parsons told me is that i recall playing against andre for a couple years and was impressed by his willingness to battle and engage with anyone we had lots of guys looking for trouble and big number two never backed down and he was a good enough player to uh, contribute on defense and we had a go one night in Syracuse. It was a decent little tilt, and he was a strong guy to tangle with. So, thank you, Steve Parsons, for that quote. But the funniest thing is, like, uh, I'm I'm not gonna try to go through his career in a in a chronological order. Mm-hmm. But there's two great moments from his career when he played for the Ukrainian national team when he scored a goal. I know you saw the other one, but this one goal in 2005 when Ukraine played against Canada, Andre takes a slap shot from the point, and the point and the puck hits Robin Reger in front of the net, and it goes behind Marty Broder's back. So that's pretty sweet to think that this kind of like a stay-at-home tough demon from the American League or the IHL, that he got that moment of glory in, in the world champs to ac- actually score a goal behind you know Marty Perdeur. That's, that's damn cool. And, yeah. and the other goal that I mentioned, which you saw on my social media, mm-hmm. it takes that damn hard slap shot against Poland, and the referee has to go for the video review because the puck went through the net.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> that was pretty sweet. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, and, like, uh our friend Darren always likes to remind <clears throat> his audience that none of the guys that we are, you know, talking about here, none of them grew up, you know, dreaming about being a fighter for his hockey team. Right. And, like, that the, all these guys had... To, had skill even like mm-hmm. helenius mm-hmm. he was in team finland under 18 camp or under 16 now again my bad memory but sammy helenius actually won the 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 one contest or competition that they had there for all the D-men. they had like all these you know stick handling you know you know uh, competitions and tricks and whatnot and Sa- sammy won and they had guys like you know, Janeninima Ninima and, you know, Kimo Timonen mm-hmm. from that same age group. So Sammy wasn't always, you know, just a big tough guy. He actually had some decent skills. Same thing with Andre. Like, uh, and what, what I can confess that, you know, during my career, no matter if I have, or if my teams have played against Ukrainians or, you know, Latvians or, or, you know, Lithuanians or, you know, you know the poles you know basically all these old eastern bloc countries what we can see in these players they can all skate they can in in general they can skate better than your average finnish player or your average canadian player or your average american player they have their own way of coaching and you know you know getting the boys ready so again for me I just, there's so much respect that I have for a guy like Andre, who just grew up playing hockey, having a lot of fun, and then all of a sudden at the age of 18 or 19, he just has to figure out another tool and and another skill set for his game if he wants to remain on the new continent. He has to learn how to fight. That's, that's actually pretty brutal if you think about it. It's something that I've said for a long
0: time. And and I think when I was on Darren's show, I had said it. It's something that I have argued with people long before social media. So if you folks have heard this before, just bear with me, because I'm sure there are some people that haven't. Um, There's, you know, there's a a portion of society. and, And now with social media, they're more prevalent out there that um has no respect for the players who do this role uh think that they're one-dimensional knuckleheads and and knuckle draggers and cement heads and i i always fire and, and i tell them i'm like give me a few minutes and i want to i want to throw something by you and and then tell me what you think and the thing i always said is for anybody that plays this game at a, at a high level um everybody knows the the stories about Um, The parents driving their kids to the rink at 5 in the morning and and stuff like that before school. And no parent has ever driven their child to the rink early in the morning for them to fight. Every one of these guys uh, started out as a player first. And their dream was not to have a square off at center ice with the biggest, baddest dude out there. Their dream was to probably score the game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup Finals, or if they're a European player, maybe score the game-winning goal uh, at the World Championships or something like that. And for a lot of these players, they're the biggest fish in the pond in their small town. And then as they get older and the, the you start to go up in leagues and the competition gets tougher, and now you're not just playing your small town. Now maybe you're playing against your province. And now you're not... You're still a big fish, but now there's a big fish from that town and a big fish from that town. And now all of a sudden you're not the guy. You're, you're one of the guys, but you're not the guy. And now you're getting to a level where now you're playing other provinces, and now there's big fish from those provinces. So you're still good, but you're not the king anymore like you were when you were younger. And then if you're that good and you progress more, now you're maybe playing international. And, again, you're seeing the best players from other provinces and other countries. And you're still good, but now you're sort of in the mix. And now you go maybe uh, Canadian junior hockey route or U.S. college hockey route. And now you're seeing players from all over the world. And now you're not the big fish anymore. Again, you're still good, but now you're, now you're, you're a big fish, but now you're in the ocean. And at a certain point, if your dream is still to make it to the, the highest level, the NHL, you may have to do some things you never thought you'd have to do. You may have to learn how to fight. You may have to add different dimensions to your game. And I say this to these these naysayers all the time where I always I put myself in, in the position, and I had this conversation with Dave Chazowski maybe a couple of weeks ago. We were talking on the phone, and we were talking about uh, his path, and we are talking about his 18-year-old year, you know, getting drafted, coming over here, and the pressure that's there, and, and and over the years the criticism that he's taken. And I just happen to have an 18-year-old son right now. And I said, I can't even imagine it because first, like, I reversed everything. I said, so my 18-year-old son has been a big fish in the, in the local hockey pond for his whole life. And now he gets drafted very high by the Edmonton Oilers. Now, my son, who's been a stud here, I'm going to send him across continent to the west coast of Canada. He's going to play for a storied franchise there as an 18-year-old, which has its own set of pressures. But then what we're going to do, we're going to take number 11 out of the rafters and throw number 11 on his back. So you have that first-round pressure. But now we're going to put a legend of the team. We're going to take number 11. We're going to ask Mark Messier, hey, do you mind if this kid wears number 11? Uh, he, I'm sure he's your kind of player. And Messier says, yeah, go ahead, give him number 11. And I'm trying to put that pressure on my 18-year-old son right now. And to me, it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable, but that's what Dave Chazowski had to do. Coming for, He's an Edmonton kid coming from Kamloops, coming over to New York, playing for a storied franchise. And all of a sudden, they're going to slap number nine on his back to make it even put even more pressure on. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so getting back to what I was saying. So now there are players who may have displayed toughness throughout their career, even if it wasn't their number one priority. But now in order for them to get to the next level, they have to make that decision. Do I want to change my game? Do I want to fight? And that's a decision they have to make at a very young age. But it may be because they started out as the big fish in the small pond, and now they're just a regular fish in a gigantic ocean. But maybe they're willing to do something that the guy in the next stall or the guy in the other locker room is not willing to do. They're willing to go that extra mile, and they're going to add fighting to their repertoire. And they do it. And because of that, they're able to make it to pro hockey and maybe, and a lot of them make it to the NHL. But for some of these people, especially the the new agers, all they see is the guy on the ice that's fighting and they, they think he's a caveman. they think he's a Neanderthal. Well, and that's why I always say, why don't you take a step back and think about the journey that this particular player has taken to get there. Now, Cam Neely Hall of Fame player, you know, good player with Vancouver, tough player with Vancouver, and I know we fought a little bit in um, in uh, Portland, but does Cam Neely get his opportunity like he did in the NHL if fighting wasn't part of his game? Same with Rick Tockett, same with all these guys who are, are – the actual definition of power forward. It's not the p- definition of power forward in twenty twenty two. These people think Alex Ovechkin's a power forward, um, but I, I think I think for fans to not think about the journey and, and, and like Andre and, and his journey is is even more is even more multiplied or magnified, however you want to say it, coming from another country. Um, uh, well, obviously some Canadians go to America and vice versa, but coming from a a completely different world, the fact that these guys don't get respect from some of these idiot new age fans, when you think, what kind of decisions were you making at 16, 17, 18 years old? Like what, what pizza you were going to get? What topping you were going to get? What soda, what beer were you going to drink? Um, those are the those were the important decisions, not these life-making, life-changing decisions that you had to make regarding your potential career. And for everybody who made that decision that went on to play in the NHL, there's hundreds of guys who made that decision that didn't. And that's why I think there are people like like you and like myself and Darren and Alec and the, and people who respect these guys because not just for the videos that were able to watch, but for the journey they took and for their intestinal fortitude and their inner strength, maybe doing something they weren't completely on board with, yet they had to do it to get to that next level. And they had to make this decision at a very young age. And and Andre falls into that category, and that's why players like Andre and and, and all the other guys that I always talk about and, and everybody that is a fight fan talks about, a lot of those players had to make that same decision and they deserve respect. Even if you don't appreciate the role like you and I do, uh, these are, these are players who had to make some life changing decisions at a very young age. And that's why they deserve the respect that some people don't
1: give them. Yeah. And that's interesting that because I, I can promise you all that uh, when Andre first got, got over to Canada, I'm, certain. He had never seen any NHL hockey on TV or American League or the Ontario League. Maybe he knew that sometimes there was, you know, fighting in in North American hockey. But I can promise that no matter how his first few fights, you know, happened, you know, I'm sure they were just like, you know, bumps in the corners or something, which would also happen back in his homeland. But now, all of a sudden, when he's just playing the game like he's always used to playing, somebody maybe takes a slash or, you know, face was, or, you know, whatever, and wants to fight, and there's a language barrier. So imagine that confusion, being a teenager, uh, not being able to speak the language, all of a sudden somebody wants to fight you, uh, and then you just actually deal with it. And like Andre told me now, um uh, in his first year pro, he got attacked. Well, he used the word "attack," but you guys need to understand that sometimes Andre has to, you know, use the words that he knows in English. Maybe he meant that that he just had to fight. But what he said to me that he, in his first year pro, he got attacked in practices six times, so he had to fight his teammates also six times, which would never had happened back home for him. And like you said there about, you know, being a large fish in a smaller pond and, you know, this natural, you know, progression. That's also what Andre says in this one interview uh, for this one Russian newspaper that uh, uh, he had moments when he had to fight the other team's forward liners who played two shifts a game. And Andre was playing, you know, PK all the time, especially in Syracuse, like he was, you know, playing 15 to 20 minutes a game. He, he wasn't just a tough guy but he learned to accept it his first year in Canada that when coaches are making decisions there are 60 guys on the camp who are we gonna keep well is is chef fighting or not because Andre is fighting okay so chef you know chef goes home and we keep Andre that's the mentality and Andre used these words hockey fights to him he felt like they were like like um like medieval you know viking battles because like the amount of respect what you have in there and i tried to phrase this in my previous appearance on Darren's show that maybe one of the reasons what attracted me especially to hockey fights like of course i love boxing and ufc and all these combat sports but in hockey fights there's no weight classes you can be 5 6 and you know, you know, 170, and you can fight a guy who's 6, 7, and 250. There's no weight classes, and it's bare knuckle. What's not to like? Mm-hmm. So, that's pretty special. But yeah, like for Andre, um, I can remember him sitting on the on the couch, and he was just smiling, and you know, saying that, yeah, well, I I did my job. I I was in North America for eight years, and every day I was homesick. That was also, like, I didn't expect to he- him to hear him say that, but I was also homesick every day. These are pretty damn big things what this one man is saying. You know, n- no matter the fact that he lived in, you know, beautiful BC, he lived in, you know, Las Vegas, Syracuse, uh, Toledo, uh, Port Huron, but he was homesick every day for eight years. That, that, that's strong. And that's something that you hear with a
0: lot of these guys, and not just the enforcers, but a lot of the kids in junior, you know, uh, yeah. living with the Billet families. And with with Andre, you know, he's a little older at this time. But, yeah, you know, with some of these guys, so the guys that Andre's fighting, you know, let's say his first year in Toledo. So let's just, let me just look. So let's say we go, um, uh, let's just say where he's fighting um, with McPullen. So if he's yeah. fighting McPolin, uh in uh, on the road, well, after that fight, and I guess even at home, to be honest with you, in Andre's case, but after that fight, McPolin goes home or he's hanging out with his buddies, whatever. That's it. Wherever Andre goes, whether it's to his apartment or to the hotel on the road, he's alone, and and it's not just alone in terms of being by himself. He's he's alone, like you know, like you say, he wasn't readily accepted by his teammates um you know which which is sad you think you know regardless wh- when you're on a team uh and again I'm, i i know it's I, I what i had said before about the acceptance but it's it's a few years later now um than when the first guys came over um yeah. but it's sad in a way if, if you know this guy's going out fighting the biggest toughest dudes and um you know, when they're done, they're getting pats on the ass from their teammates after the game, they're having beers. And maybe for Andre, it wasn't like that. He's just by himself. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really tough way to acclimate yourself to, uh, to North American style. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I know for sure. And I know, you know, this too. uh, I know how much he was loved on that Vegas team, the one that, um, that I talked about. And I really hope, And, I mean, it was only a couple of years later after he started, but I hope that Andre was accepted before that year in Vegas because I know in Vegas he was. I know they loved him there. Uh, But I know uh, it seemed like Toledo wasn't really the most welcoming place for him. Um, But I know, I mean, he played one game in Fort Wayne, played 22 games in uh, Port Huron. So, again, I don't know how things were for him there. But I know at least by the time he, he reached Vegas, I know he was on a team that really loved him.
1: Well, I'll tell you, uh, I mentioned er- er- early on his uh, his coach from uh, Toledo, uh, Greg Puhalski. Mm-hmm. And Andre always said that, you know, uh, that Coach Puhalski was his number one supporter in North America. And uh, uh, after his second year in, in Toledo, Andre again went for... You know, camps in you know higher levels, and Greg Puhalski found himself another job in in Port Huron in the old UHL, mm-hmm. and he actually brought Andre there because Andre had signed a two way contract with with Las Vegas. Okay. So Puhalsky brought Andre into the UHL, and again, like he was giving him you know tons of ice time. Mm-hmm because he, he really believed in Andre's skills and his character. And just a year before, like approximately two months before his first call-up to the IHL, Andre had this one great game that everybody can find online. It's on December 6th, 1997. Uh, it's, a, it's a Toledo Storm against the legendary team at Columbus Chill. Mm-hmm. Uh, First, Andre fights Andrew Fagan. Then he goes and fights Peter Vandermeer. And he has his hat trick of the night by fighting Justin Polar Bear, Mac Pollan, who goes crazy after the fight, giving the middle finger (laughs) salute to the crowd and all that stuff. But uh, that's three fights against three damn tough guys. I'm just wondering, uh, what was going on Andre's mind when he, like, I know that he's not the kind of guy, you know, to go and, you know, even think about like, okay, guys, I told you, so I was going to make it, but I sure hope the first time Andre got called up to the IHL and he left, you know, Toledo behind him for, for a few weeks. I hope that he felt that he had done something right. You know, let's put it this way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean he certainly uh he certainly did you know, listen, he he didn't get called up for any other reason than he earned it. I mean, like say, so even in that game figure, uh and you look back and I'm looking at the card now, a week before that he they played uh um Columbus. He had fought McPullen again uh, prior to that, and yeah. he'd fought him a bunch of times. And well, I it see. just I, yeah. I figure so he fights Andrew Fagan and just knowing the kind of character P. Vandermeer is I kind of picture him on the bench going, all right, I'm going to go him next. I'm going to see how tough this kid is. Yeah. And he fights fights Vandermeer. And then, of course, you know, it seems like any game that he played against with a team with McPole and they were going to just go anyway. Um, you know, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, I hope that at that point the the boys in the room appreciated it. Obviously, you know, the coach did. And, um, you know, he earned that, that call up to Vegas that year. And then, um, you know, like I say, next year he was there for uh, – the 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 bigger portion of the season he was up in Vegas and uh, I know how much the guys cared for him up there and you know you know too because he he played with Sammy up there
1: yeah yeah it, it it was so nice to hear Sammy talk about Andre and when they actually had the chance to you know Sammy was playing for Team Finland and uh, Andre was playing for Ukraine and you know they uh, played against each other in the World Champs in Finland and there used to be roomies on the road. And like Sammy said, uh, they might have shared one or two be- beers together as well. One or two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like, it's it's so beautiful. Like I told you just before we started recording, uh, in many of his Las Vegas fights, right after the tilt, Sammy is the first guy to go over to Andre and you know give him a little you know congratulatory pat on on the head because they were used as D partners. In a team like you mentioned, that had Dean Dubin and Killer Kaminsky and one thousand other tough guys, mm-hmm. yep. God damn, like that's pretty cool for me to think. Like now that okay, now the the Las Vegas Golden Knights are a thing in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Not that I care, yeah, but uh, they like like Sammy tells Sammy tells in his book that uh, they won so many games at home that they didn't even deserve to win only because of the reason that the visiting teams would always flying the day before the game. And of course, when you are in Las Vegas, you just want to might to go and gamble a bit and you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like Sammy said that they didn't lose, but like maybe two or three games at home that, that, that year, because (laughs) basically all the other teams were hung over and he did mention about another team's player <laughs> coming for the pregame warmup pregame skate and uh falling down to the ice <laughs> and being on his knees and <laughs> throwing up <laughs> it's like uh
0: like Brophy and slapshot you know shit face. <laughs> yeah so, uh, yeah and you know what it's it's a real advantage i mean maybe not so much nowadays i think the players are uh or, you know, in this advent of social media and everyone has a camera on their phone, you always have to be careful. But for the guys on Vegas, I think unless you had a gambling problem, you just played there. It wasn't like a big deal to, to go out. I'm sure guys would go out and have some fun, but you know, it was always a bigger deal for the visitors to come in because you're going to Vegas and you're playing in a lot of these smaller towns where there's not much to do. And now all of a sudden, Hey, we're Mm -hmm. in Vegas for 24 hours. So, for the guys playing there, especially, you know, they had an older group, and a lot of those guys had families. Yeah. I don't think they're hitting the strip too much. Uh, but, the, of course, the visiting team was for sure.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's actually a great quote here from 1999 uh, by by Christoph Oliver, who said that uh, he had seen enough of strip go in action in the IHL that he could say that looks like, this Shripko Kai is even tougher than I am.
0: Wow. That's uh, high praise.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Christoph Oliver he was actually pretty tam- damn tough in the NHL level. Uh, he was a little bit bigger than Andre, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a high praise for sure. And uh, like uh, Andre told me later on that uh, actually when he, uh, <laughs> eventually when he uh, left North America, and he went back home, and he played in he he played in Russia, and of course he played in Ukraine. But uh, he had to pick up boxing, you know, just to release some anger, because he had learned to appreciate the role. And Andre loves the Canadian or North American style of hockey much more than the uh, than the conventional old Eastern Bloc ish hockey style, so to speak. Yeah. And Andre has also, um, again, I'm you know. I'm jumping all over here, but, uh, he's, uh, he's helped a lot of junior, junior players, Ukrainian junior players, and, you know, to go and, you know, get their opportunities in North American junior leagues. And Andre said this in one of the Russian newspaper interviews that, uh, at one point, at least, he has had the dream that he and some other Ukrainian former pros, such as Sergei Klimyantyev and the other boys who played in the IHL, AHL, even NHL, that they would have a way to, to purchase a franchise in one of these North American junior leagues where they could bring in enough Ukrainians so that they could actually get to play some very competitive games but of course they would also need to have some you know north american skaters but andre really values i would say and this feels so odd that i'm speaking on behalf of of my friend in a way and uh, every time you know these last few days like a lot of my friends asked me about andre after i made those posts on social media uh the fact is uh I don't know how he's doing and every time I think about it that when I wake up I I make a cup of coffee. Well I hope he's alive, but what does he do? He wakes up and he makes sure that he he grabs a gun. Yeah. I it's just sorry to say but it's such a mind fuck, this whole situation. But yeah, for like the work what Andre wants to do for the good of the Ukrainian hockey future. Uh, in in these interviews, he he says a lot of great things, and like some of these young guys said that they actually called up on Andre and asked if if he could be if he could be coaching these kids, you know, during the off season time, and uh, they are. Uh, each one of these kids whose name i saw who andre was you know coaching they all made progress in north american hockey no matter if it was in in the junior ranks or in in the uh, in the college ranks but uh, andre said that uh, he makes the boys work so hard uh, it's like an investment and <laughs> That reminds me of a funny story. After uh, <laughs> we had played against Ukraine in in Slovenia, team Italy against Ukraine, uh, <laughs> Andre wasn't too happy with how his boys played, and he comes to shake my hand and he asks me, like he just smiles. So, uh, how often do you yell to your players? And again, I need to always, you know, consider having some kind of a filter because of his limited English skills. Mm -hmm. But he asked it so candidly, like how often do we yell to our player? And I said, not that often, like, because it will lose its effect. If we would yell every fucking week, like we really like to have like dialogue with, with all these players, not a monologue. And then Andre just smirked and said, yeah, I guess sometimes I yell too much. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just smiling all the time. And I can tell you, uh, one day, they practiced right after us. And I stayed there in the locker room with the with rest of the coaching staff. I was working on some stats and, you know, videos. And I can hear when the Ukrainians go, back to the locker room because Andre wanted to point out one or two things to his
0: players.
1: (laughs) But yeah, that's, uh, those are great memories. And like you saw the picture I posted, uh, Mm. it was such like, it's so great that life worked out the way it did that. I was there (laughs) to basically have a game against Andre. Like Mm. who would have thought back in 2003, when I first met him that this happened happened 14 years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yep. that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think, and,
0: and, and for those you know people who are listening that usually listen to this for the, uh, the Islander content, I just want to throw out uh, some names because maybe you're not familiar with, with Andre, but I want to throw out some names that you're familiar with guys that Andre fought. I mean, Andre, you know, listen, he's trying to make a name for himself. So you go after the bigger boys and, uh, Names that you're familiar with if you're an Islanders fan. I uh, fought Eric Bolton. Uh, let's see. Brent Hughes played for the Islanders a little bit. Uh, Barry Dreger, who I had on the show, played for Capital District for a few games. And uh, someone who I had on the show that is a a, a big uh, fan favorite for Islander fans, and that's Aaron Asham. And uh, he, um, he didn't do that great against Asham, and a lot of people don't do that great against Asham, but just to kind of give you an idea the caliber of guys that he fought and he he fought everybody that he could but yeah. uh just for the uh, for the islander fans out there I just want to give you an idea uh Andre definitely did not pick his spots and and uh anyone that has a Bolton and a and a Dreger and then Asham on on their fight card uh has to be tough you know to uh to take on those guys and Andre's fight card is uh is pretty extensive and I'm sure some of the some of his fights are even missing from this but uh but yeah. yeah so I don't know uh I don't know what else you might have you I don't I didn't mean to cut you off there but uh but again you know again the floor is yours I don't know how much more you have but uh take all
1: the time you want I have a total of 11 pages of notes. (laughs) (laughs) And what I can say there, and to add, is that uh, the Islanders have also had a great Ukrainian defenseman, Alexei Chitnik, played over 1,000 games in the NHL. And just this morning, when I woke up, the Finnish newspaper had made a story with Chitnik. And he posted in the picture... With a machine gun in his hand. Jeez. So that's a reality check.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's it, like I like I said in the beginning. It really, it, you know, when we had our discussion, it really put a face to everything. You know, with Andre, it really put a face over there for me. It really, uh, I think that's not that's when it became real. But you just think it's they're just you know, whenever something happens somewhere else and it doesn't even have to be as extreme as a war, it's just, it's over there. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, nameless people, faceless people, you know, because you don't know them. Um, and then like, you just say like, you know, uh, I think there were pictures of uh, Klitschko with the machine gun and uh, I guess Miss Ukraine. I think it was even Miss Ukraine or something posted a picture of herself with the machine gun. And now you're saying Jitnik there. So I, I think it really, you know, for those of us who don't have any sort of connection with the Ukraine, uh, you know, sports and entertainment uh, may be our, our lone connection. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're a boxing fan over here, you may not really know much about Ukraine, but you know who Klitschko, you know who the Klitschko brothers are and for hockey fans, there's plenty of hockey players over there, like, you know under fans may not have any idea who Andrei Shrubko is, but they'll know Alexei Zhitnik, so just putting faces to these names it's it's it just makes you shake your head, really, when you think about uh, Alexei Zhitnik posting a picture with a machine gun
1: Yeah, and like, that's why I really hope that Whenever you post this episode and those couple charitable links is that uh, the audience takes this seriously. Even if you donate $30, $50, it means that uh, some kid somewhere out there who is in need will have his or her food or the medicine. And there's been reports and videos and photos there of two-year-olds up to 10-year-olds who have died of dehydration on on their mother's arms so uh, this feels somehow so I don't know the word in English or Finnish or in any of the languages that I speak but it feels so surreal that I'm talking here about Andre and we are using basically hockey fights as a frame but if even this way there's, there's an extra $100 going to these people then it's worth it because god knows like i told you i don't need any airtime myself right. in fact like it's been well when i agreed to do those couple of shows with darren was the first time in years that i spoke to I- I- any kind of media <clears throat> and, but uh this is so much bigger and like uh i hope uh instead of buying some expensive latte macchiatos or coffees or sandwiches or nice new purse or shoes or wristwatch. You people send some money to these people who really need it at this moment. And what I've already told some of the hockey players who often call me during the off-season time and maybe ask for some help or, you know, consultation, is that uh, the only thing what I'm going to ask you guys now next time you call is that if you have made a donation, so I'm not going to take any fucking fee. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I, I, uh, when we hang up, well, at some point today, get me those links and, uh, I'll definitely post them and, uh, I will make sure the links are out there. If anyone, uh, if anyone's able to, uh, to help people out, I'm sure, uh, you know, no matter what the amount is, it definitely helps. And, uh, you know, the links will be available and, and, yeah. uh, you know, you're doing, uh, you know, listen, you're, you're doing your part here. Uh, I, I always say I wish I had a bigger reach. I wish I was, uh, I had the reach of a Joe Rogan or, uh, Bissonette for something like this, but you never know. Just maybe people hearing it, you know, got an extra five bucks. You want to send it over. That's fine. And, and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully this thing is over soon and, you know, more lives don't have to be lost.
1: Yeah, but now that I mentioned about media and journalists, there's a couple of stories from Andre's career that I found, and I had to translate this from Russian, and then I had to kind of, you know, correct these sentences and words, and I have to, you know, stress here, I do not speak Russian, I speak a lot of different languages, I actually speak more Basque than I speak Russian, so... <laughs> you know writing up these notes at times uh, was was a bit of a challenge but uh it gave me some good laughs but okay so i don't know how many years ago this happened but uh, andres team played a road game in in habarovsk <clears throat> and apparently the reporter who wrote the home team's <laughs> recaps hadn't done such a great job the previous time andres team played there <laughs> Andrei confronted him after the game. (laughs) Asked, like, what the fuck are you writing? Do you even understand the game tactics? And, like, he... As far as I can understand... And if my, you know, translation efforts were not in vain... He confronted this reporter in the media zone... In front of all the other media members. And apparently... I can't confirm, but apparently... The response was just like total silence, because this reporter was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and then uh, there was uh, another incident. Uh, <laughs> Andre had uh, fought a- another team's player. And he- let's see how it reads here. This translation is horrible. Okay, so I put their tough guy down with one blow, with one punch. Okay. Okay. And they won the game as well. And then uh, this part I wasn't able to translate. But apparently (laughs) the other player lost some teeth. And that's why uh, there was this danger that Andre would get suspended. But the team GM had told the media that if something was given to Andre, you know, suspension-wise, that the team would pay all the fines. Mm -hmm. But then. The things had escalated because after he had beat down this player and apparently (laughs) removed some of his teeth, the 7,200 spectators at the rink started to throw all kinds of objects at Andre when he was going off the ice. Uh, he, He had no helmet. And somebody threw, and it reads here, and you have to understand this is through the Google Translator. Mm-hmm. Someone threw a half-meter-sized sharpener. So I don't know if this means a knife or an actual sharpener. And then <laughs> this, this is what I told you last night or two days ago. I was escorted off the ice by the highest police members and the leaders. And the Russian police officers, they have this kind of like a... Like a like a a ceremonial knife, like in old-school style. Like, for example, in Italy, a lot of the carabinieri, they have, uh, on Sundays, they have their old-school swords also with them. So one of these high-ranking police officers gave his ceremonial police knife to Andre, saying, this is your trophy now. And Andre says, the trophy is at his house on display. That's awesome! I love that story. That's <laughs> tremendous. Mm-hmm. And he also uh, one of his most well-known fights in Russia was when someone called Reed Simpson was you know terrorizing the league. Yeah, as the first North American, so they had a great tilt, and it's actually online. Yeah. And I need to send you all my Shrubko footage that I have because some of this footage I had to ext- extract from DVDs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, besides Reed Simpson, uh, there was this one Russian tough guy, uh, Alexander Yudin, who also played yep. in North America. Yeah. But this was just before the days before the VDS team started to, to bring like you know multiple tough guys. But Andre's last career fight, if I can trust this old drop your gloves card, it mm. was against Josh Graden.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I saw that.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, I can't find that video online anywhere. Not if I try to search it in English or in Russian or in Ukrainian. Maybe somebody has it. And uh, like I said, I'm trying to put together all the footage that that, that is out there Mm -hmm. from his career. And first time I put together some footage for Andre was in 2003. And I basically all the stuff that I had on him at the time were the flights from Las Vegas. And I made a copy of that VHS tape. <laughs> I wanted yep. to say it out loud. Yep. Now, I, and I sent it to his address, which he, he had given me. And then years later, when I met him again, I asked him, hey, did you ever re- receive the VHS tape? And he just smiled and said, no. But <laughs> but that's no surprise, he said. Because at at this <laughs> These uh, logistic centers stuff very often seems to disappear, and I I can remember in the eighties and nineties when my family and our our relatives we would send uh, you know clothes, some utilities, even some you know you know um, some canned food products over to Estonia to our distant relatives. Mm-hmm when they were still living under the Soviet rule, none of the packages ever arrived. Or if they arrived, they were clean, empty. There was nothing in there. So we always had, like, when we went to Estonia, we had tons of stuff. And the customs officers were always very interested. And there's one brutal story. Like, I think this might sound entertaining to the North Americans now, but please remember my mother was born in canada in sudbury ontario Mm -hmm. and she's traveling to estonia with my father who was born in finland and the kgb goes through the passenger list and they take my mom in for questioning and they keep her in there for hours Only because she was born in North America. So she must be affiliated with somebody from the CIA or the FBI or God knows what. So that's like, that's like only one hour from Helsinki, Estonia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's how different the worlds were. Uh, back in the 80s and in the early 90s, the only access to Estonian people, and Estonia is like still, you know, over 10 hours away from Ukraine. But the only way for the Estonian nation to learn about what was really going on in the rest of the world was that on their uh, nor- northern coast, their uh, capital city, Tat- Tallinn, they were able to see Finnish TV broadcasts. So that's how they learned about music, about the news, about, you know, Dallas and, you know, Dynasty and all these <laughs> old TV series. But that yeah. was the only, only place in the old Soviet Union where people got some kind of a glimpse what was life like outside there. God. That, that was when I was about to enter my teen age. I was born in 1981. Are you there? Yeah, I am. Oh, Just, okay,
0: uh, I, thought, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. No, and as I'm listening to you say that, And and I'm listening and I'm thinking about it. All I could think about is, you know, over here in the U S and, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak for people up in Canada, but how many people have complaints about our lives over here? And, uh, you know, I love America. I love this country, you know, and I I love living here and I'm, I'm so grateful that I was born here. And, and I think there are people that, uh, you know, over the last five or six years that have expressed their disgust with America and all this other stuff. And a lot of these, uh, you know, fake celebrities have expressed their disgust. And it's like, you really don't have any idea how things are in other places, how you're so fortunate to be in this country. And, you know, stories like, you know, I mean, obviously... You you hear about, you know, what's going on now, but just even stories like this, you're talking about little innocuous things. It sounds innocuous to us, but even talking about your mom being detained by the KGB. And it's like, I'm just listening to all this going, you know, for people in this country, we're so lucky to be here. And, um, you know, just so many people that are, are bitching and moaning about, oh, it's this and it's this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, fuck, you know, you know, go somewhere else for a week or a month and see how life is other places and, and just how lucky we are to live in America. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really, as I'm listening to your stories, it's one of the things that comes to mind are the people over the last few years that just fucking bitch and moan, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I live in America. I'm, I, I feel lucky to live here. You know, I don't really give a shit. I think our government is full of shit. Uh, but I think all governments are full of shit. So, um, but I, I, You know, for those people that that complain about this country, it's like, man, you know, where else would you rather be? Where else do you think it's going to be better? And I'm not so sure there are many places, if any, you know, that, uh, you know, have the freedoms that we have here. You know, maybe outside of here in Canada. Like you just say, like, you go to different places in the world, it almost seems prehistoric. So, you know, that's really... Out of out of all the stuff you've said today, you know, non hockey stuff. That's really the the part that resonates with me. How how fortunate I am to to be here in a, in the U.S. So
1: yeah, and it's uh, interesting now that <clears throat> when I consider you know, of course, every day I read news from all over the world, and unfortunately, it takes this kind of war and the threat that. Things might escalate for the press and for the people to fucking tone down with their talks. No matter if it's about in Canada, if it's about you know a Trudeau, or in U.S. if it was about you know Biden or Trump. Because enough is enough, and of course all these vax a- anti-vax. Like I t- like I said, there I've never seen or felt more unified Europe before. Everybody is leaving their, you know, political differences aside. Even I've seen this happen, even with the people who are like in my circle of friends who are most dedicated, you know, being on, you know, left or right. And it's great to see, but I sure hope it It, it should not take a fucking war for people to be able to come together and realize we all just want the same basic things, you know, like, like fucking safety and
0: peace. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But like I said, over here, it's, you know, I think over here you get spoiled and you, you're able, people don't realize you're able to bitch and moan and complain about things because of the freedoms that we have. And, you know, and and the bad thing about over here is the, the, um the empty cans, the ones that rattle the most, uh, about politics for the most part never gave a shit before the Trump Hillary election, never yeah. cared about politics, and then all of a sudden became uh political experts. They, uh, the people I call the 2016ers never cared, never cared about politics. Then all of a sudden, uh, did the deep dive and just believed everything they heard on whichever uh network they watched. And uh, some people are still stuck in that mentality, but you know. Yeah. I guess it's just the way of the world, you know. There are people that are just brainwashed, and that's a whole other podcast. So, uh, so I won't go into that. But
1: uh, yeah, because so I thought like I would uh, change the topic to the legendary game between Syracuse Crunch and Wilkes-Barre and Penguins, yes, which is known as the St. Patrick's Day Massacre, yes. Okay, hey, a lot of the fans now, especially thanks to the Danbury Treasure document on Netflix, they know about Brad Wingfield mm-hmm. and his great episode oh, yeah. against uh, Steve Parsons. But there was an aftermath uh, after uh, the main e- the, the main event. Uh, a guy called Jason McDonald was having a bit of a go with uh, David Ling, mm-hmm. so. Andre decides to be the good and perfect teammate that he always was. He comes up from the bench, knowing fully well that he will get a suspension. But he decides to challenge McDonald, who is without a shirt at this point. And you can all find this clip on YouTube. Uh, I believe it was, the video is called 06 uh, McDonald, M-A-C. McDonald So Andre decides to engage Against Jason McDonald And it's so funny like the first you know 30 seconds before they engage uh, McDonald Is visibly you know grasping For air and then he raises Up his dukes and says okay buddy let's go (laughs) (laughs) And for his efforts Andre received a six game suspension Which came As a no surprise but that was a that was the second year that he had actually uh, or he was playing under an NHL contract because the year before, as a 26-year-old undrafted player, he had signed an, a two-way deal with the Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. And one year later, they again signed him for you know one more year. So that alone also is quite an achievement that he was able to secure such contract. It's too bad that he never, you know, got the call up to play in the NHL. But again, like when, when you were talking about his fight card, Mm -hmm. we just, you know, consider the teammates he had in Las Vegas. There was like five guys who were equally as tough as Andre. So everybody was able to fight you know as much as they wanted but i'm sure uh what andre told me when he first went to syracuse and you know jody shelley he he, he was still a prospect mm-hmm. so shelley was carrying all all the heavy <clears throat> you know lifting there and uh, andre said that it was the first year when all, basically all his fights actually were because that of the fact that he had to react to what happened on the ice, you know, just like moments before. He didn't have to fight the guys who were playing like, you know, two shifts a game. Mm-hmm. Because Joe De Shelley was there. So he was taking all the number one guys and the all so called staged fights, you know, for the lack of a better term. Right. So Andre was able, you know, just to play a bit more and actually to react. If something you know dirty happened, then he will be right there you know to do his thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe his fight card from from Las Vegas you know through to Syracuse wasn't as stacked because of well in Las Vegas he had you know all those other guys. Then the first year in Syracuse there was uh, there was Jody Shelley, and and the next year there was the uh, the late uh, Trevor Ettinger. Yeah. So, uh, Andrea was able to, you know, focus more on, you know, just playing hockey. Yeah. But still, like, that fight card is, <laughs> that is impressive. Like, if you if you consider that he goes against, you know, Francis Belanché, Ash, Scott Ferguson, Mark Major, Aaron Downey, Gary Goulash. Then the second year, again, there's McDonald, uh, Guillaume Lefebvre. Brian Schmier, Nathan Perot, Jeremy Stevenson, Steve Parsons, Andrew Peters. So he wasn't trying away, but he was able to focus on playing more hockey than just fighting, you know, the meathead, so to speak.
0: <clears throat> yeah. And that, um, the St. Patrick's day massacre fight with McDonald, it looks like it's the fifth or sixth fight yeah. that he had with McDonald that, uh, I guess him yeah. and McPolin, probably the two most frequent guys that he fought. And, uh, it's good that you know you for the fans and you know maybe for the players too it's always good when you have these personal rivalries like here on the island when you knew uh, mm-hmm. the islanders were playing the rangers and you're going to get mick and ty Domi or uh, mick and rob ray and, and those guys it, it adds a little something to uh, for the fans so yeah. uh whenever Syracuse was going to play Wilkes-Barre you know it was a pretty safe bet you were going to see Andre go with uh, Jason McDonald
1: <laughs> yeah for sure for mm-hmm. sure and uh uh unfortunately I don't have the um, I uh, I don't have the Syracuse Crunch 002 DVD that's out there. I already asked a, a, a couple of my friends who collect these DVDs and if a, anyone in the audience ha, has this DVD, please contact Joe and you know tell him about this because uh Ah, fuck. Now I'm probably going to shed a lot of tears, but like, I really hope that uh, someday I can uh, go to Ukraine to meet Andre, give him a good hug, shake his hand, and give him all the footage. Give him all these great photos that I've seen and uh, been able to gather that I'm sure that he has never, never seen before. Because uh, he was always so proud of the career he had in North America, and he loved the fights. And I'm only like, I only need 18 more fights than, you know, for those who wonder how, how can I know about how many fights I'm missing. Uh, well, I don't, of course, I can't be 100% certain, but there's hundreds of fight, fight DVD and fight tape lists out there that I use. And based on all this information, I only need this couple discs to have all the shrubco footage that's out there. But like, uh, yeah, I really hope I can go and, you know, give the DVD to him and, you know, fucking 20 copies that he can give out to his friends and all these photos that I'm sure like, especially now that I'm getting older and whenever I help out these guys, uh, I get the same, same, same kind of, you know, response from these players that that they're, you know, thankful for the footage or for the photos because they really want their kids to see how their dad was when he was young. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Andre has, uh, he has three daughters. And like I said earlier, in the very beginning, a lot of people there now making the rescue drives throughout Europe. And, oh, fuck, I wish I could have found a way to... Just ask Andre if his girls need, you know, safe place to stay. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, let's uh, let's all, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, it, you know, you see it all over social media, thoughts and prayers. And, I mean, I always think it's always, you know, wishful thinking. It's nice thoughts. Um, you know, we can't go over and help them fight or anything like that. Let's just, uh, you know, let's hope this thing is over soon. Um you know, part of me thinks the only way this ends is if somehow someone gets to uh, uh, Russia's little leader there and, and uh, ends him. But you know, that's easier said than done. But let's just um, let's hope there's a resolution to this and that uh, no more lives are are lost. And you know, on a on a lighter note and a much less important note in terms of real life stuff, let's hope that you're able to meet up with Andre again, give him the uh, give him the footage. So. If anyone's out there that um that has any footage of Andre, um, you know, just check out his hockey DB. You may have a team DVD or something like that that uh maybe uh has a fight or two that uh, Yuka needs. And um, you know, Yuka's uh, very good about he shares a lot of stuff. So even if it's one fight, I'm sure he's more than happy to send you the finished product. I uh you know, I don't think I have much besides that Vegas uh disc that um that you have and um you know, but I can go back and check if I have anything, but I'd love a copy of that. And, um, I mean, maybe that's the best way to finish this up. You know, just if, um, if anyone has any footage or anything on Andre, uh, reach out to me and, um, either I'll connect you with Yuka uh, or, um, I'll be the go between. But, um, you know, if there's, uh, if there's nothing else that you want to say, man, then we'll, we'll, we'll end it here, but I'm not rushing you off here. Just, uh, you know, we've been going for almost two hours now, and and I think we've we've talked about the real life aspect of what's going on, and we've we've also uh, shared some real good stories about uh, Andre. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. So, uh,
1: this is what Andre told me is his favorite memory from his days in North America, and uh, it's of course from uh, from Las Vegas. Uh, I can't remember whom he was fighting here, but he said that uh, he remembers when he was having a fight and this was a home game. And the Las Vegas Thunder, they also had Ukrainian goalie, uh, Konstantin Simchak. So this fight took place right in front of the Las Vegas net. And Andrei was doing his best, you know, to demolish his opponent. And Simchak was there, like five, five or six feet away, yelling, "Kill him! Kill him!" Andre, you fucking have to kill him. In, of course, in you know, Russian or yeah. Ukrainian. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay. And what Andre said that, and I started beat so hard that my bones just crunched. <laughs> <laughs> and then a couple of years later, again in his own style, in that you know, with that little smirk. He, he never says anything more than what's needed. So he said, like, when he went back to Russia, he said that, I don't think there will be too many challengers because people in Russia already know that I have broken my hand against other people's foreheads for three times. <laughs> <laughs> And that smirk, like, I really hope you could all see that smirk, because there is no aggression, there's no ego. He's just, you know, stating the facts. He's really, like, we always talk about that somebody is like a big, you know, teddy bear. And Mm -hmm. Andre really is. Like, uh, it's such a nice, you know, the uh, what's the word in English here? A contrast between his role and, again, his character. And uh, I'm really happy that uh, we were able to record this episode and you broke your own rules. And I respect you so much because uh, I'm a punk rocker, like you said, and we like to, you know, bend and break the rules. And I'm happy to see that a middle aged New Yorker is still able also to break his own rules. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of you, my friend. <laughs> Thank well, you for giving me this opportunity. No,
0: it's my pleasure. And it's funny that you say that. Cause last night I was riding the train home with my friend from work and we were talking about something completely unrelated. And, uh, and I said, no, I, I have to have this. And he goes, you and your rules. He goes, you have so many rules. I'm like, yeah, I kind of look at them as standards, you know, keeping up a certain standard. But, uh, He's like, I, I never met someone with so many rules. I'm like, well, without rules there's anarchy. And that's something as a punk rocker that uh, I think you would appreciate the anarchy side. But uh yeah, you know, like I said for this, uh I I, I like I like the uh parameters that I've set for this show, but uh, there are certain things that are bigger than uh than uh, hockey and bigger than fights and bigger than rules about uh second-rate podcast there so uh so this obviously you know listen honestly if i didn't if i had never met andre i don't know if this happens but because i i've met him a few times and i know what a good guy he is uh you know i could break the rules every now and then so uh obviously uh everybody on this side that uh you know in this household i know that uh we we hope he gets out of this unscathed and uh hopefully he'll have a way to listen to this and uh, just know how much he is appreciated but uh but yeah it was it was okay to break the rules for you uh you've helped me out with this show enough where i could uh i could bend the rules a little bit for you this one time
1: that's great and actually i have uh i thought about the perfect ending for my section here and uh not sure if uh you or your audience has gone and checked out the words to the Ukrainian national anthem, but uh, I have them here in English and they're actually pretty powerful. Uh, (laughs) I'll try to collect myself here, but like um, a lot of these national anthems that we have, of course, they are very, you know, patriotic. And this Ukrainian national anthem is not only patriotic, but it leaves zero room for any kind of interpretation, especially now considering what's going on, so it reads in English, Ukraine has not yet perished, neither her glory nor freedom upon us fellow Ukrainians fate shall smile once more our enemies will vanish like dew in the morning sun and we too shall dwell brothers in a free land of our own we'll lay down our souls and bodies to attain our freedom. And we'll show that we brothers are of Kazakh nation. Thanks, Joe. I'm not even going to
0: say anything. That was uh you're right. That was the perfect way to end it. Yuka. Thanks for coming on. And, um, you know, just best of luck. And, you know, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks to Yuka for joining me. Um, You know, I say joining me, I I told him from the start this was going to be his episode. He was going to have to carry the episode, which I think he did a great job. Um, You know, and one thing I want to hammer home is for those of us that live in North America, you could hear it in Yuka's voice, uh, you know, a few times there. You could tell that um, he was getting upset. He was getting emotional um, because that's something that is very close to home for him. You know, like we talked about just geography-wise, where he is in Finland in relation to Russia and in relation to the Ukraine. Um, It's a a pretty scary thought having to live like that now and even scarier if you're in the Ukraine. So um, I appreciate Yuka really, uh, really talking about something that is very, very serious right now. And of course, once we hung up, Yuka said, Oh, I really wish that I'd given Andre's career numbers and accomplishments and So I said, uh, send that over to me. I'll make sure that I talk about it in the outro. So for Yuka, he spent eight years in North America playing 476 games, uh, scoring 14 goals, 83 assists, 97 points. Not bad for uh, for a stay-at-home defenseman there. 1,428 penalty minutes. And in his career, he's played 1,111 games, 65 goals, 201 assists. Total 266 points, 2,857 penalty minutes. In his career, he had two NHL contracts. He's won—I uh, I guess not. He didn't win ten World Championships. I don't think that can be right. He's maybe he's played in ten World. Yeah, he's got. It. He's played in ten World Championships. Uh, played in the Olympics. He was the—he uh, was a champion. 2009 Ukrainian champion, and he retired from hockey as a Ukrainian national team captain, went on to coaching, which Yuka and I discussed. So um, I hope that you learned something today about the man, about his career, and about uh, a really crazy situation that he's going through right now in Ukraine. And, um, I, you know, like I say, the whole thing where you say thoughts and prayers, it sounds kind of hollow, to be honest with you. I see it all the time, and I'm not criticizing anyone. It's To me, it's something you say – in an uncomfortable situation because you always obviously people are hoping for the best, but what can you say? What can you really do? Um, so, but obviously, um, my thoughts are with Andre and his family and and I hope they all escape this without any damage and hopefully it ends soon. Like I, I mentioned it a few times in the show. So, um, all the best for Andre. Um, God, I, what do you say? Best of luck. Like, like, what do you say to someone who doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen today? But uh, thinking about Yandre, and uh, and I hope everything works out. So um, I guess that's all I can say really about that. If you liked what you heard today and you want and you're interested in more of the Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box podcast, I urge you to please subscribe to the show. And uh, if you have a moment or two, if you wouldn't mind liking, rating, and reviewing the show as well, it gives the show greater visibility. I believe uh, when people search for shows, uh, whether it's hockey shows or fighting shows, uh, I think it'll show up in the suggestion. So the more likes I get, the more ratings I get, I think it, it just, like I said, it just gives the show greater visibility. and. Um, If you don't want to miss another episode, hit that subscribe button, and it will be delivered to your podcast feed as the episodes are uploaded. So that's it for me for this week. Uh, Pretty excited. Uh, I I made uh, contact with a former player. He's into the interview, so I'm spending this week doing my research on this gentleman, and I uh, I think if everything works out, I think he's going to be a great guest. So hopefully I'll have that for you in the near future. Until then, you people out there, please stay safe.